Waxwork, she's the sight for me. Waxwork, she never bores me. Stories, poetry, got those creative projects just for me. I never wanted any other mother loving website. Don't ever fall out the drive that keeps my baby alive. But I for so. Waxwork, men want to date her. Waxwork, other sites hate her. She looks so divine. You never seen such sexy web design. I never wanted any other mother loving website. Don't ever format the drive that keeps my baby alive enough for so. You know, with so many of our boys overseas, we here at Waxwork.com would like to recommend that all you good citizens out there invest in war bonds. The next best thing to joining them out there on the front lines, side by side with our fighting boys. God bless you, and God bless America. Waxwork, try her and you'll see. Waxwork, she's cheap and easy. When I'm feeling down, I put her on my laptop and go to town. I never wanted any other mother loving website. Don't ever fall for the drive that keeps my baby alive. I love her so. Thank you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White. I have with me my three co-hosts. Uh, for example, here is Mr. Frank Allen. Hello, how's it going? Mr. Uh, Reggie Sinclair. Uh, yes, that's me. But um, actually, I did want and to... And Mr. Scape White. Yeah, hi there, everybody. How's it going? Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, well, I was... hold on, hold on, Reggie. Hold on. Um, we have a really, really jam-packed episode today. Uh, we got another scapey story, which is quite long. We've got shows, which are great. Uh, and, uh, basically, uh, I'm also feeling really down in the dumps. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, what, uh, what's wrong? Well, I, uh, man, I had a, uh, a physical biometric screening for work because I'm getting a new healthcare there and I am super unhealthy. Like, super unhealthy. My cholesterol is high. My good cholesterol is incredibly low. The lowest that Devin has ever seen. My wife. She's a doctor, by the way. Um, my blood sugar was high, you know, which is dangerous. Uh, my weight obviously is high. I, I know it's an audio podcast, but imagine me as a fat bastard. Well, Jordan, I wouldn't. I mean, come on. All right. No, but I, I, I do. I did weigh the highest I've ever, the most I've ever weighed. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of distressing. And I'm also shorter than I ever was before. Wait, what? Yeah. That was just a clerical thing because they, they said, I thought I was five nine and they were like, well, you're like five, eight and a half and we don't have decimals. So we're going to round it down. I was like, what? Cause I thought math, you round up. So, but I, but they put me down as 5'8", so I'm shorter than I've ever been. Okay, well, that, I mean, that last part, you know, it, I don't think that counts. It's, you know, it's written down on my chart, so how can it not count? Look, Jordan, you know, you got, you, you don't have to worry, you know, you don't have to get so upset about these things. I've been getting unhealthy uh, doctor's reports for many, many years, and I'm fine, so. No, that's not, no, Frank. What? No, that's not why. No, Jordan, you know, you've obviously got to, you know, get yourself in shape and, and start working on the things that you eat. And I know. Look, I know, but you make it sound easy when you say it like that, and it's not. No, I didn't say it was easy, but I, it's something you obviously have to do. I, look, I know. I don't want to. I'm going to I'm sorry? And so I'm going to be whining. I think he said he was going to be whining. Oh. Well, I, all right, if you want, as long as you're actually still doing the things. Uh, Is that a yes? Or? I don't know. Look, I don't know. Oh, God. I mean, I don't, listen, I mean, if you know me, you know what, I eat meat. I eat meat and I eat carbs, and that's pretty much most of what I eat. I don't like a lot of vegetables. I hate onions. They taint, like, everything they touch, and so I hate food with onions in it, which is, you know, like, every food ever. And like I said, we don't have a lot of time. 
So I'm dying is the is the point. What? what, what are you what serious? I will be like in the sense that I'm unhealthy, so I'm going to die at some point. That's a bad idea, Dad. You shouldn't do it. Well, I'm not. It's not on purpose, Cape. It's just, I mean, it, it's not on purpose in the sense that I don't, I, I really don't want it to happen. So do something about it. Uh, okay. I, like I'm going to, I don't know. Like I'm going to try. I, I, I Obviously, I'm going to try to eat better and I'm going to try to, oh God, I, I'm gonna, am I going to try to exercise? Ugh. Well, yes, you have to. I mean, I, I tried before. I went to a gym for a while and I just, I hated it so much. I hated it so much. It doesn't matter. You Look, Jordan, these things have to happen. You must get better. We can't live without you, you know? Well, I mean, what do you mean? You know, I was speaking metaphorically, obviously. I mean, obviously, I can live without Jordan, but I mean, I, I, I would prefer not to, and I didn't want to, and it would be a, a less happy life living without him. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Well, that's really nice of you guys, metaphorically, to say. All right, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm just kind of down in the dumps about it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, yes, keep us posted, you know. Well... If you want to. I, I don't know. I'll think about it. So, uh, Reggie, you wanted to say something? Uh, well, yes. Uh, about, about that, actually. About your name? Yeah, yes, actually. Um, Reggie Sinclair, as you said, is my name. Or I should say, Reggie Sinclair was my name. Uh, but I actually, in the uh, past few weeks, I've had it legally changed. What? Oh, okay. That's, uh, what, why? Well, a few reasons, um, mostly business reasons. You see, what I've done is I've changed my name to, um, to Rory Sinjin. What? For, like I said, for business reasons, um, Rory Sinjin is sort of a brand name in extra historical circles. And I thought, you know, since I already look like him, I can perhaps cash in on a little bit on the business that he left behind when he died by just changing my name to being his name as well. Uh, also, there's always been some confusion, people calling me Rory, because I do look like him. So this way, it'll just make things a little less awkward for everyone. I'll just be Rory Sinjin from now on. I'll be able to pick up a lot more money, uh, you know, putting aside putting aside all this um, trouble that I've been I mean, ha having in the extra historical circles because of the so-called Meacham phenomenon. But th I, I, I'm working on very solid ways to disprove it, so not a problem there. Uh, rather, you know, hopefully future not a problem there. Um, but yes, from now on, you can just call me, you can just go back to call me Rory. It shouldn't be too much of a problem. Uh, wow, I, that that seems in really poor taste. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But no, 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 it's in, it's in honor of him. It's because Rory was so, you know, wonderful and did so much gr terrific things that I want to take his name, you know, to, to become as close to him as I can. Well, and to honor his existence by, you know, not continuing it per se. By committing fraud and telling people you're him when you're not. As you've taken great pains to prove to us. No, no, I would not commit fraud. I would not commit fraud. Because... I would be Rory Sinjin, and so if someone said to me, I'm sorry, are you Rory Sinjin? I'd say yes, and I would be absolutely telling the truth. Or if I introduced myself to them and say, oh, my name is Rory Sinjin, I'd be telling the absolute truth. Now, if anyone said, Rory Sinjin, the, the Rory Sinjin who does extra history, again, I can say yes, because I do. Uh, the Rory Sinjin from England? Yes. The Rory Sinjin from Cass and Wax? Well, yes. The Rory Sinjin who works on... Uh, where are they now in history and, and, and things like that? Well, yes, yes, I do in fact do that. The Rory Sinjin who was Rory Sinjin as of 2012? Well, no. No, not that Rory Sinjin, I'm afraid. But what are the odds that anyone will ask such a specific question? Very low, in my opinion. Very low. So I figure if they make assumptions that there was a contiguous Rory Sinjin uh, because they don't realize that he died, it's not my fault uh, that they've made that assumption. It, 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 I've done everything in my power to 
be honest and tell the truth, and I've done everything that I can to, you know, be above board with the fact that I am, in fact, Rory Sinjin. I, I can list my achievements, you know, of, of extra historical fame, of uh, Where Are They Now in History, of Cast in Wax, things like that. You know, and I would have to be very careful not to list things like, for example, Welcome to the Waxwork, because I was not technically on that show. That was the original Rory Sinjin. I am, in fact, Rory Sinjin. Well, I'm, I wouldn't go so far as to call it Rory Sinjin 2.0, because I feel, I feel like that's not uh, useful to, to the deception that you're trying to pull off. Well, no, I mean, again, to the branding that I'm trying to uh, acknowledge. Um, so, anyway, the, look, this doesn't have to affect our relationship at all. Half the time, you'll call me Rory anyway, so you just continue calling me Rory. It's not a problem. I will be the Rory to your Frank, so to speak. And to your, you know, Jordan and Escape, respectively. Okay. Yeah. If this is what you want to do, uh, you know, it's your life, so more power to you. I agree. I agree. A lot of power to me. You know, I, I, I'm quite in favor of power, especially uh, the type that you gain through having money, which I do and hope to gain more of as a result of this name change. So so thank you all for being so supportive, and let's um, continue with the show, shall we? Yes, uh, let's. Um, like I said, we don't, we don't have a, a, a whole lot of time today because we've got such long shows. Um, but I do want to read all of the mail that we've got. Uh, so let's let's get right into it. Um, first of all, here. Well, I I guess this is a letter for you, R- Rory. Yes. Is it say Rory Sinjin? Uh, well, it says, dear Mister Sinjin, uh, I regret I have the sad duty to inform you that Mister Diogenes Sinjin, whom I believe to have been a relation of yours, died last night. What? Tragically, it appears he was suffering from advanced, undiscovered, and untreated Bartleben's disease in his later years, despite living a full and happy life. As a lawyer handling his estate, I need to discuss your substantial inheritance with you. When would you be available? Mike Napoli, lawyer. That, that email, that email, I, I believe that email is for me. What? No, I don't think so, Frank. Yes, uh, as you... Probably recall, I was Frank Sinjin up until our last episode. Right. And then last episode, you stopped being Frank Sinjin and you started being Frank Allen again. And Diogenes was well aware of this. So I'm pretty confident this is not for you. Yeah. Yeah. Diogenes was well aware. His lawyer was present, if you will recall. Yeah, but not this lawyer. That's this is Mike Napoli. The lawyer that you're talking about was you. And you didn't sign off on any will documents. Well, no, no. I was a divorce lawyer. What? I specialize. No, you don't. You're not a lawyer at all. Yay! Regardless, everyone, regardless, I believe the letter is for me. It says, Mr. Sinjin, I just finished explaining to you that I am, in fact, Mr. Sinjin now. So, you know, I'm very saddened by the loss of my of my, of my good relative, uh, Mr. Diogenes Sinjin, but I am gladdened by the tidings of his wealth. Um, but at what cost? You know, at what cost? This is ridiculous and unfair. You're telling me I married that guy. I let him do things to me, and that uh, it was for the money. We've firmly established that it was for the money, that I was being essentially, let's just all say it, a, a prostitute, prostitute, I think. Yeah, a prostitute. Right, right. Because I wanted the money. It was a prostitute. An essential part of the prostitute equation is the sex and then the getting of the money afterwards. It is it is hand in hand with the being of a prostitute is that they get the money. I got two free dinners 
they were good. I'm not complaining about the dinners. Please, everybody, if you're in if you're in town, you should go check them out. They're terrific. But I'm not complaining about the dinners. I'm saying that's all I got. That's all I got. And now this guy swoops in, changes his name to Rory Sinjin, and because of that, inherits all the money? No, that's not fair. I was related to Diogenes back when my name was Sinclair as well. I'm sure if he had died, you know, a few days ago, before I changed my name, it would have said, Dear Mr. Sinclair. A few days ago you changed it? How quickly did he get that information? Well, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, you know, lawyers travel in circles where they pass information about people changing their names and stuff. No, I'm pretty sure that's specifically against what lawyers are supposed to do. They're not supposed to tell people about uh, what their clients do. Right, yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, that's called privilege. Well, that doesn't, uh, it doesn't cover if you're on a podcast. It doesn't cover if you're on a podcast while you're telling them the things so that, okay, we've all learned a lot of legal lessons on the show and that's wonderful, but, um, yes, Frank, it, it, it it says Mr. Sinjin. He's Mr. Sinjin. You're not. Uh, it, it seems pretty clear cut. This money goes to, uh, well, Rory. I, I, I keep wanting to call you Reggie. No need. No need. It, it is Rory now. Um, and so as, uh, you know, to be honest with you, the, the, it's only fitting that in tribute to Mr. Sinjin, the original uh, Mr. Rory Sinjin, I would inherit lots of money because that's, in fact, first of all, why uh, Diogenes ripped to the podcast in the first place was to give Rory the money. And now he's finally achieving that goal of giving, giving the money to Rory. Uh, in addition, um, you know, Rory was always very fond of money. And while, while I'm sure, you know, money is wonderful, I, I'm sure I don't love it quite as much as he did. But I will do my best to love this money as though it were my own. Well, in fact, it will be my own. But as though it were always intended to be my own. As though I were always Rory Sinjin from the first place, which legally I'm not. But as though I were. This is so unfair. This is so unfair. I seriously, can you just, can I... Can I get a, a cut of this money? No, that, that wouldn't be right. I think it would be right. I'll take you out to a third dinner. How about that? Well, I'm not going to say no, but I would like more. No, as part of the conditions of the dinner, you can get whatever you want, but you can never ask for the money again. What? Come on. Those are the conditions. I will take you to any restaurant you like, get you any food in any quantity you like, as long as you can eat it in one sitting. Well, I mean, I can eat a lot in one sitting. That's fine. And I will buy you any food in any quantity, as long as you can eat it in one sitting. That's fine. But... As the condition, you can never ask me to give you any of Diogenes' money ever again for the rest of the time we know each other. Uh, really? Those are my conditions. Take them or leave them. Well, I, I mean, I gotta take them. You know, a free dinner is a free dinner. All right, then. Shake? Fine. Deal. All right. Well, let's go on. We got more letters to do. Um, here's another one. Dear Mr. White, uh, I guess that's to me. I have been following your podcast with interest as an agent of the Federal Department of Scientific Advancement and Warfare Preparedness, uh, usually known as the Combative American Scientific Command. It has come to my attention that you own a talking cat. Uh, the method for producing talking cats and potentially other animals, once derived from your cat, will have earth-shaking benefits to our national interests. Suffice to say that if we do not requisition Scape so that we can use him to develop ways to use him against the enemy, for instance conscripting cat soldiers or confusing the enemy by making their cats talk, then national security could be severely damaged. Anyone who tried to prevent this would, of course, be a traitor. For this reason, I must requisition your cat immediately in the name of the United States, Gordon Fenderson, FDSAWP, uh, parentheses, C-A-S-K. Um, it's, that's really not necessary, Mr. Fenderson. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's actually quite simple. Um, what it is is that all cats can talk at any time, 
I mean, am I saying this right, Scape? Yeah, basic. You want to say it or you want me to? Oh, All cats can talk, but only if they feel like it, so. Yeah, so if your cat's not talking. Yeah, then it probably just doesn't have anything to say to you. Right, so, you, I mean, it's not necessary. I, I'm sure Scape would be willing to Skype with you. Ah, Scape Skype, a little Scape Skype. That's not funny. Well, all right. But I'm sure he'd be willing to Skype. I mean, Skype. Yeah, do it again. That, was, that one was an accident. Yeah, right. And I'm serious. Look, I'm, the point is, I'm willing to do a little chat. If you want to talk, we can talk, and I'll tell you about how cats feel. But all of them can talk. We can all talk. We just have different things to say. I personally have a lot to say. I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of songs to sing. I have a lot of, you know, stuff I want to do that involves me talking. But not all cats do. A lot of them are just like, oh, I'm just going to go to sleep. And that's a smart thing to do. But sometimes you got to talk about it, too. No, that's all there is. Yeah, and we've had talking dogs on here before, too. A couple of them, I think. Yeah, there's that one guy... Mr. Like Wolf, and he talked, and I was like, oh, stop with your dog talking, man. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So the point is, you, you, there's no need for you to take my cat away, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to help. Well, I'm not glad to help war, but it doesn't sound like any of the ways you, you, you put there would count as war, because, uh, or for war, because cats, you can't really conscribe cats because uh, they, they don't count as citizens. We'd have to give them rights and stuff, I think. That sounds like a good idea. No, you don't, you don't that's not, you think that because... It sounds like a good thing, just theoretically, but you'd have responsibilities. Oh, forget it. Yeah, see? Anyway, I got another letter here. Uh, Dear Mr. White, uh, and is this one for me? me? Yeah, this is for me, too. Dear Mr. White, I have recently been arrested for murder after brutally killing my wife in cold blood. I recently heard your podcast, it was fantastic, by the way, and wondered if it would be possible to hire Scape as my lawyer. He sounded really talented. Omar K. Tallman. Um, Scape, do you want to take on this guy's case or what? Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, Mr. Tallman, uh, you, you should stop saying that you killed your wife in emails or in person. Say that after I allegedly killed my wife like that. You have to say allegedly. Or you could say after I didn't kill my wife. Well, that would make it sound like they arrested him for not killing his wife. If he said I was arrested after not killing my wife. Yeah, but... It's still something you could say, and then people go, oh, that's a guy who didn't kill his wife. You think that's what they think? Yeah, if you just want, yeah, dad, if you met a guy and he was like, oh, hi, my name's Omar, I didn't kill my wife, how you doing? That's all you know about that guy is he didn't kill his wife. So that's going to be a very strong association in your mind. This is my legal advice to you, Omar. Probably tell everybody you know, hey, how you doing? I don't kill my wife. I'm a guy who has made a specific, you know, effort in my life to say that I do not kill wives, mine or other people's. All right. (laughs) Mr. Tallman, if you want him as your lawyer, you're welcome to him. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll have to come with him to the courthouse, but he, you know, brings, he brings in money, so <laughs> I'll take it. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying you got money from Diogenes for him being his lawyer? Well, yeah, I'm, of course. I own Scape, and Scape did work, and so he gets paid, and I get the money. Come on! Everybody got money but me? Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. This is ridiculous! I'm, I'm sorry, Frank. I don't know what to tell you. Um, that was our last regular letter. We did get one audio letter, and I'll play that for you in just a moment. Uh, let's bring it up. It is from, uh, looks like from a, a Margot Mansfield. Now, here's the thing. It's not for any of us. Uh, it's for frequent contributor to the show and frequent friend of the show, Mr. Thomas Alva Edison. It's not exactly a nice letter, though, so I'll play it. But, um, I'm, uh, Thomas, I, I just want to say I, I don't, I don't agree with this letter. This is just a letter we got. So here you go. Dear Edison, eat a d- you say. Hmm. 
They may call you the Wizard of Menlo now, but you and I both know you're a long way from Albion. The cave paintings in Lascaux? That was my red period. I have left my mark throughout time like an angry cat hoses its musk over a pile of freshly folded laundry. History is a sandbox, and old men get grumpy when they sit on it so long that sand itches its way up their crack. I am Margot Mansfield, the wayward Lilith and muse to Genghis Khan. You taught Sappho to love, and that's why she rejected men. I snatch people from time itself before they can fulfill their destinies. So guess who just went missing? What's his name? Um, T-t- T-something. T- Tommy? No, no, that's you. Um, Man, it's so hard to remember who you erased from history. They don't exist anymore outside of a memory in your head, so you start to feel like you're going crazy. Kind of convoluted, that whole time travel thing, huh? Oh, oh, Tesla. That's who it was. Yeah, Tesla's gone. Um... How does it feel having the bane of your existence removed? Kind of hollow and meaningless, I'd wager. So, eat a d*** then, Tom. I have. Why do you think you're impotent? Have fun with your mutant tank bread freak babies. Margot. Ooh, Thomas won't like that. Speaking of things Thomas won't like, is he going to like you using his son's name? It's Like I said, it's an honor. It's an honoring thing. I'm honoring him. I just, okay, but I'm, I, I don't know how he'll feel about it. He might think you're honoring him, or he might think you're, you know, insulting him like this woman did. I don't see why that would be an insult. But, you know, just so you know, Thomas, it's not an insult. In fact, I can start calling you father if you like. I, I don't have a problem with that. That sounds like too far. Yeah, I don't think it's too far. Well, you wouldn't. You are the one going too far. <sighs> Come on. <sighs> All right. Well, look, uh, everybody, uh, the email to send us emails is castinwax at gmail.com. Please write into us at castinwax at gmail.com. Write into us at castinwax at gmail.com. And of course, listen to every episode of Cast and Wax. And hey, go on iTunes and, and, and uh, uh, rate and um, review the show. Uh, that's something that we don't ask you to do very much, but do it. Uh, if everybody did that today, that would be so cool. And all of a sudden, we'd get all these positive reviews and people would go, hey, what's this wonderful show that uh, we've never heard of before? Please do it. Um, so what am I going to say now? Okay, we've got a whole bunch of shows to play, but I'm gonna we're going to stop the host segments here. What are you going to hear today? Well, I'll tell you. You're going to hear Annie Italic, Girl Reporter. You're going to hear Kentwood. You're going to hear Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten. You're going to hear... Where are they now in histories and the associated this day in histories that they are with associated? Okay, that was poorly phrased. And you are going to hear a scapy story of the mystery of Marie Roger. And then you're probably going to hear a song played on the ukulele. And then you're going to hear a little babbling. So hopefully you'll all stick around for that, right? Are you waiting for someone to respond? Because... Why? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I hope you all said yes. Are you waiting for them to respond again? Uh, Look, okay, we're going to go into it now. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for being our friend. Is that a thing I say? Thank you for being a friend? (laughs) That's a song, isn't it? Yeah, that's the Golden Girls. Okay, well, thank you for the Golden Girls, and thank you for... uh, Yeah, I got nothing. I'm done. I I, uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for listening. Continue listening. These are the shows. Here they go. Be seeing you. Schwartz. Dateline Popsburg. 
from the desk of any italic girl reporter high atop Henderson Towers in Center City in her office of the Thorpsburg Ledger Star Bulletin Journal, we bring you the news of the world. Commissioned by seasoned newspaper editor Eugene Seabrook, any italic tracks the most thrilling events of our day with the determination of a bloodhound, poised notebook in hand for the moment of her big break. You know, I might complain about the Ledger Star Bulletin Journal, but I've never really minded coming into work at the office. That's cause I never really have time to stay at the office long enough to do any work before Eugene Seabrook sends me out on some inane story. Annie, what are you doing? I always envy you people who can find something worthwhile to do with your time. It's called typing, Johnny. It's like work. I enjoy. God, you're so lucky. I wish I could be satisfied by just sitting around and playing on the computer all day. I'm not playing, Johnny. I'm typing my story. The one about the parking lot that mysteriously nobody ever parks in, remember? I had to wait around for five hours to prove it was true. Oh, I wish I had a good excuse to stand around for five hours doing nothing. Wait, you mean this thing you're writing already happened? That's old news. You're a reporter, Annie. Go investigate something. How about I investigate how I never get anything printed because I keep getting interrupted? That doesn't need any investigating. I know exactly how that happens. It's me being irritating. Oh, so you know how it goes. (sighs) I guess I'm not getting the story about the power plant melting down across the street. Oh, of course not. Gene gave that to Phil Lister, best reporter. Um, but he said you can take the unanswered letter story, since I think Susie's busy at the TV station. At the what? Oh, listen. Hello again. This is Susie Sancer, younger girl reporter from the Ledger Star Bulletin Journal. I'm on TV again after my very successful interview with Phantasma, because if something is very successful, then good TV stations put the same thing on again. I didn't ask any questions in that, because it was a statement, and everybody knows that the best interviews put the focus as much as possible on the subject, so I'm going to do my interviews now by not asking any questions. Then they'll be successful. This week, we have Michelle Berkeley from the Henderson Trial. So... Okay, I get the idea. At least she won't have to miss too many days at work. What's the story I get to not have Susie there for? Um, I'm supposed to come to take pictures? Um, he must not care about this story very much. Though I'm sure the broadcast's over by then. And we'll be meeting Wendy Wednesday. Wendy Wednesday? She's real? Does that mean I have to actually read all of these Wendy Wednesday letters? Dear Annie, I like your name. Dear Annie, how is the weather in the office? Dear Annie, I liked the paper for the 23rd. Will tomorrow's paper be for the 24th? No! God, I should have told you, but I'm so stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. We don't read them. That's the point. She's about to break the Guinness World Record for most unanswered letters. It's taken her 40 years, and our paper will be on the record as the non-answerer. The ride over with Johnny was surprisingly tolerable. She only lived a mile away. You know, I think I almost have a chance of enjoying this one. Forty years writing letters without getting a single answer? I identify with how futile her life is. You, Johnny, you're really... 
You're really right, actually. Why would you spend 40 years writing to a local paper without ever getting an answer? What would compel someone? Well, I know all about crushing loneliness. I'm sure that's part of it. Hello? Hi, I'm Annie. Oh, hello, Annie. You caught me just as I was writing a letter to the paper. (laughs) I do it every day, you know. Today, I'm asking why the price is on the left instead of, you'll never guess, the right. Oh, I wonder what they will say. They're funny, that paper. Listen, Wendy, I'm from the paper. Oh, did you get my letter? Letters, I should say. I've written many of them, but no answer. Even to the one asking why there was no answer. You see... We've gotten all your letters, except the ones that got lost in the black hole at the post office. You probably caused the black hole in the post office. We're interviewing you about the letters. You're about to break a record for unanswered letters. Oh, I must write and ask who had the record before. Some guy who never got his final paycheck. Oh, well, now I have to write another letter. God, yeah. Coming up with new ideas is incredibly hard. I wish I could come up with a way to do it, but that would involve coming up with a new idea. Oh, yes, I know. Isn't it terrible? So, you just end up doing whatever half-baconine thing that comes to mind. I probably haven't written a very original letter since 1978. Same with my photography. But I have to have something to distract me from how useless everything else is. So, I just take pictures of things instead of doing anything worthwhile. Okay. When you two soulmates are done, God, just my luck. I finally meet my one and only soulmate... And she's 50 years too old for me. Hey! Can we just get to the interview? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, Let me get you two some tea. If you could only help me with the tray, though, I'm not quite as stable as I once was. Gee, I wish I ever knew what it was like to be stable. Physically stable. God, 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 you don't know what I mean. I don't think I have any soulmate at all, Annie. I'm gonna go help with the tea. It's in the kitchen, where I read the paper and try to come up with things to write. Come this way. What is it? I bet you might have thought it was because of my crippling fear of being alone that I was screaming, but no! Wait, was it you that rearranged all this furniture? No! God, I mean... I know my taste in interior design would be bad if I had the confidence to try it, but I couldn't be this bad. That's what I was screaming about. What happened? I don't know. Everything just started moving on its own. But then I just hid behind the security of my camera and started shooting. (sighs) Okay. Let's look at the pictures. Wendy, your plants moved around your furniture. Oh, I know. They've been doing that for around 40 years. Did you know my first letter to the newspaper was about that? But they never answered that one. So I started trying to come up with more interesting things to write about. Your plants have been rearranging your furniture for 40 years. 
and you never thought to mention it more than once? Oh, I figured if it was interesting, you'd have wanted to do a story. I figured I needed a new idea. I started to feel like I'd run out when I wrote that letter in 1990 about how the paper of my back issues keeps getting yellower and yellower. Oh, and there's the fridge again. I'm getting too old to move that all the way back into the kitchen every day. Okay, I'm sorry we didn't answer the first letter. I I wasn't born, but this is a far more interesting story than the unanswered letters record. I mean, why are they moving your furniture? Who says they have a reason? God, I wish I had a good reason for doing something. You know, I never thought to ask. Let's ask Plenty. Plenty! Oh, I was going to point out. You named your plant Planty, but what other name would you give a plant? Frederick? Nah, Planty's perfect. Hey, I talk to my plants too, and they say I'm crazy for it. Ha! It's just one of the symptoms of my mental disorders. Oh, I didn't name him Planty. That's what he called himself. Come on, Planty! Yeah, Miss Wednesday. What are you? Oh, there's other people here. Do you make tea? You know I hate it when you make tea. If I was a tea leaf, that would hurt. Well, maybe I'll make some coffee. Oh, come on. That's made of beans, right? You don't have to rub it in my face, Miss Wednesday. You know, um, I'm probably remembering this wrong, but I think they're actually a berry. Is the point of the thing? Fine, I'll get us all some water. Well, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised by talking plants. Yeah, we don't move too fast. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you know how you became walking, talking plants? Yeah... There's a Chinese restaurant next door, and they use a lot of, like, uh, MSP or something. Then they dump it in the ground, and that does something. Or something. It's a lot of science stuff. Anyway, it made me a super intelligent plant. MSP? MSP? You mean, like, mechanically separated poultry? Or, um, methylene-specific PCR? That's sciencey. Um, maybe it's manganese-stabilizing protein. Or a millisecond pulsar. Or are you just misremembering MSG? I think it stands for must-shut-person-up. Okay. Got it. I'll try and remember. Sorry, Annie. God, I knew all this useless information would be my downfall. I'm, I'm pretty irritating, aren't I? I mean, I think so. Yes! yes. Okay, why do you keep moving all the stuff around again and again? I'm redecorating. It's really pretty smart if you think about it. She keeps all the food in that big white box. Why don't move it where she can get the food without getting up? But that's... thoughtful. Now you're thinking like a plant. But it won't help. Look, it's unplugged. It'll just take root in here. Not for nothing. I'm a super intelligent plant. You certainly are. For a plant. I certainly am. You certainly are. Shut up, Johnny. (sighs) Sorry. 
I should just keep my mouth shut. I never know when to be quiet. I'm always talking, 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 talking. I never know when to be quiet. Most people, you know, they know when to be quiet. But me, that's one of many social cues I just totally miss. I think it's probably because... Sometimes I don't consider myself so lucky I can talk. Yeah, me neither. So I bet you're wondering why I call myself plenty. Actually, that's the one thing I wasn't wondering. Well, did you guess this because I'm a plant? I thought it was pretty clever. Okay, don't take this the wrong way, but are you the one in charge? Because I'm really having a hard time believing that you'd be the one in charge. Well, this my friend. Hey, Vesley, get in here. Guess where he is? Um, a walking, talking vegetable? Johnny, let me to the reporting. Yeah, I'd be even worse at that than I am at my own job. Okay, is he a walking, talking vegetable? Yeah, a coward. Here he is. Hi, everyone. Ah, plenty. The chairs all go right under the window. So she gets sun. Jeez, what can I do for you guys? You guys have been pushing around this lady's furniture for 40 years? Why? Well, she keeps moving it back again. Well, she's getting pretty old. She can't keep doing it that much longer. I know. Then the plan will be complete. Now we're getting somewhere. What plan? Ever hear of a couch potato? Well, I did once. It must be a potato that lives on a couch. Well, if we can turn her into one of them, then then it would be pretty cool. Here we go. Three glasses of water. Should I pour on a feet for you? We'll take care of it ourselves. Wow. Okay. Let's get this interview. I can get Gene the story he wants. Then maybe he'll let me sneak in this good story about these super intelligent, relatively speaking, plants. And they don't even seem like that much of a threat. This is all turning out perfect. Friendly neighborhood mailman here. I'm here to deliver the mail in your neighborhood in a friendly way. Here you go. Oh, thank you, sir. You're welcome, valued postal client. Have a glorious day filled with wonderful correspondence. Postcard from Michigan. Water bill and... (gasps) Finally! Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Dear Miss Wednesday, thank you for all the letters. If you don't mind, I will be sending our Annie Italic Girl reporter, one of our reporters, to do a story on how in one week we will have helped you by not sending you any letters to break the Guinness record for longest unanswered correspondence. Congratulations in advance, Eugene Seabrook. Newspaper editor. Huh. Well, there goes the record. Nice going, Jean. Oh, Annie, I'm so happy. Please tell everyone at your paper thank you, and thank them all for finally answering my letters. Uh, you know, you just lost, uh, never mind. Oh, I guess it's back to life with plenty and vegetably for me. But 
They are at least some welcome defense against my loneliness. Gosh, I wish I had some defense against my vast loneliness. Oh, thanks, Miss Wednesday. We both really love you. That's why we've been trying to turn you into a potato. Nice meeting you all. Same to you. Now once you leave, there will be nothing to hinder my plans. The whole world will be potatoes. You know what? Come here. Mm. No! Now I have gone from two to only one talking plant companion. I'm sure I can help you with that. Oh, other vegetable. Come in here. Uh, yeah? Talking lettuce? Great. Let's go. Here's the story that Jean ruined by sending this letter. Here's a groundbreaking expose on talking plants that nobody cares about. Harvey, bar now. Yes, Johnny, you can come too. In that episode of Any Italic Girl Reporter, the announcer was Mickey Weishner, Any Italic was Angela Schwartz, Johnny Simmons was Pete Bowers, Susie Sanserif was Cheryl Casey, Wendy Wednesday was Angela Schwartz, Planty was Cheryl Casey, Vegetably was Sarah Diaz, and the mailman was Daniel Fitzgerald. Kentwood. Episode 7. Trivial Pursuits by Jacob Thompson. If you listened to previous installments of this program, you may realize that Professor Eldridge Kentwood had few interests besides his work. I doubt he would have attended trivia either, were it not for the insistence of two old acquaintances who started the team. I don't really know to this day how Dr. Aldo Quentin Collier and Dr. Augustus Amadeus Cowboy met when Dr. Kentwood was a young student. On this trivia night, Professor Kentwood used his detective skills to uncover a team of cheating fraternity brothers. As we walked into the building, we were greeted by Lester Street, the restaurant owner and master of ceremonies. Why is Kentwood and Sebago? I was beginning to suspect you had something more important to do this evening. I'm curious how those cheating frat rats will outwit you this week, you pirate. And I, too, am curious about how you'll once again finish third or fourth place. Walk to the table with great alacrity. The serving girl is here. Terrific. These two as well. Do you want anything? I want the destruction of my enemies worldwide, but since you are incapable of executing that task, I shall settle for homeland ale. Are you ordering that so-called drink because you have enemies that need poisoning? Professor Kentwood is using it for an experiment. A hogshead of your finest mead, dear wench. What are you talking about? A hogshead is a traditional British unit of measurement that equates 52.5 imperial gallons of wine or 54 imperial gallons of beer. I hate trivia people. I'll be back with 54 imperial gallons of kiss my ass and... Your order, of course. What a fiery fox! I would like nothing better than to pin her resplendent pelt by my bedside. <laughs> Dr. Cowboy, you're 116 years old, and at your age, this is unseemly. Allow me to coordinate the destruction of the cheating frat boys in as much silence as can be had in this foul tavern. Dr. Cowboy, 
Do not continue to terrify our server with your immortal sex drive. I require her presence to carry out my plan. Welcome to my trivia night. I don't see any new teams, so I'll spare you the rules. My first round concerns trees, President Reagan's favorite source of air pollution. Question one. Who is the leader of the Ents in the Lord of the Rings? As the game progressed, Kentwood kept his eye on a young lady wearing an obviously fake mustache. While we all noticed it, only the good professor understood what it meant. Follow that girl into the men's bathroom. I followed her, and indeed, on close inspection, she was a very young girl indeed. She was not even an adolescent, but her squeaky voice and homemade facial hair meant nothing to the fraternity brother. Hey, bro! Don't you know it's a party foul to brush up against a dude while he's peeing? Sorry, dude, I'm nearsighted. Oh, okay. Uh, as long as that didn't like turn you on or nothing. <laughs> no way, bro. I I only do chicks. Do you think ladies are hot? I sure do. I don't believe you. You're totally setting off my gaydar. You de-evolved your Adam's apple and your hips are shake hips. You're a weird dude. While I followed the girl outside, Megan the waitress finally returned to Professor Kentwood's table. My might is the long-awaited return of our fair and buxom server. I request your silence, Professor Cowboy. You shall be rewarded by victory. Oh, Jesus, what now? Here's your arrow, by the way. I have a proposition for you. No. So you don't wish to earn $50 for the mere task of switching one pair of sunglasses for another? Is this 50 counterfeit dollars, marked bills, foreign money, or some other stupid trick? The money is on the table, and even the likes of you should perceive it as real. Good. I don't mind taking your money anyway. While this deal went down, I talked with the disguised girl and Dr. Gina Brewster, an English department colleague of mine who frequents trivia. You're a little late for Halloween, young lady. Who dare you call Greco Rubino a lady? At first glimpse, Mr. Rubino certainly looks like a tiny, effeminate garbage man, and this is a dead ringer for a joke shop mustache, but... Well, I'll be damned. It came right off. Uh, I never gave you permission to touch me. I didn't know until now that you were Delia DeKalb. How do you know now? Professor Kentwood keeps a watchful eye on the sports teams and has a dossier on all the players, including their relatives. Speaking of Kentwood, shouldn't you be kissing his rear end about now? I may be more of a Smithers than a Watson but I haven't had to pretend to do any research in ten years. It pays to know Eldridge. Adios, amigos! Delia, I have a message for you. Professor Kentwood has all but solved this case, and your Nancy Drew-esque exploits are just a waste of time. Nancy what? Are you teaching Nancy Drew now, Dan? I suppose you should teach something that you can understand. Silence. Professor Kentwood has told me to tell you... At best, you are a pawn on his chessboard. Is Eldritch good and bad? I will take the high ground and return to my table before I strike a child. 
While I was exposing Delia DeKalb as a fraud, our waitress switched the sunglasses as she had been paid to do. She was able to get away with it as the frat boys had other concerns on their minds. Waitress! What is it? We have, like, a super simple question. If a guy dresses like a chick and touches a dude's butt and then says he loves the chicks, but then takes his clothes off and becomes a girl, does that make he and or she and or it gay and or bisexual, bro? Tip? I guess I need to repeat the question slow for you. If a guy... Finally, after the last round, young Delia DeKalb rushed the stage where Lester was about to reveal the final scores. It appears that I'm being interrupted by a child. This has never ended well, but I have given the floor to even less promising people in the past. I discovered how the frat boys cheated! Whoa! We won the last two games, so show us some respect and use our name? Our team name is the Pittsburgh Feelers! <laughs> what evidence are you bringing to the table? Several people laughed at my fake ID tonight. But unlike my older sister, my fake ID wasn't supposed to get me beer. It was supposed to be Greco Rubino, a sketchy man with a bitchin' mustache. I snuck into the bathroom and saw the computerized sunglasses these college kids used to cheat. And then I put a wire on them so I could hear them. I got a lot of proof tonight. And I can send audio files to anyone who is interested. Young men, you stand accused of cheating at trivia. How do you defend yourselves? If what she said is true, she recorded us by putting a listening device on my ass. You can't do that if you're dressed up as a dude or if you are in fact a dude. This sounds dangerously close to a confession. I would really like to say who won tonight's game, but first I feel as if I should See these glasses? Well, unfortunately, those so-called cheating sunglasses are missing. At this moment, Delia has no proof. She's doing, to me, what Hitler did to lots of people. Let us leave Hitler out of this at least as much as we can. As for scores, the following teams were far back in the pack. Ass butt. The waitstaff, Lan Ho, the Coolidges, they saved Hitler's penis. Stop this string of puerile names. Professor Eldridge Kentwood will now hold forth. Your table tends to hold forth whether I allow it or not. So, you might as well bore us. You may be wondering why I've gathered you all here tonight. People actually attend this event in spite of you. As far as notorious curmudgeons go, you are no Dr. Cowboy. That is Professor Augustus Amadeus Cowboy the Third, for the likes of you. Mr. Cowboy came upon the first piece of the puzzle, that the so-called Pittsburgh feelers were cheating through its manifest transparency. I admire the resourcefulness of this girl child in taking the trouble to resurrect the long-neglected art of disguise. 
and perhaps for gathering some hard evidence. But that is the full extent of my approbation. I, Professor Eldridge Kentwood, had some presupposition that this team had bent the rules, and I purchased the services of the girl you call Megan. With surprising basic competence, she confiscated from the table the sunglasses that the one called Connor had been ceaselessly wearing. They matched the wares which I have in my private crime laboratory. You may be pondering the nature of these alleged glasses, and I, Professor Eldridge Kentwood, am willing to provide an explanation. I had observed the team for weeks. This evening, I instructed Dr. Sebago to program my own answer shades with misleading answers and brought them with me tonight so that the serving girl could swap them with those of the Pittsburgh feelers. For my evidence, I cite the increasingly invaricious answers they provided. Note how their answers perfectly align with the answers Daniel is bringing to you as I speak. Uh, I don't follow. That is Kentwood's obnoxious way of saying that he's got you. Also note that if you take the first letters from each of my answers in order, they spell out the phrase, Kentwood knows all. Very clever. Obnoxiously clever, in fact. But I see no way that I can deny your team a 50-point bonus next week. What about me? I figured it out, too! The Brethren were sixth, the Butt Nuggets fifth, the Titsburg Feelers fourth, Chinese Concoction third, Nos Contemno Bardus in second, and I said your name properly to spare us all another five minutes speech. Team Tweed won this week, and the Titsburg Feelers are banned. Woo! Awesome! I don't understand you people. It is very simple. We only started coming here because it was an initiation into the fret. When we get kicked out, you see, we become full members and stuff. I'm going to pretend to believe you if this sentence is the very last time I must say the phrase, Pittsburgh feeling. Screw you! I've heard worse. Much worse. Yes! Victory for us! I believe I just said that you finished second... We finished first in mystery solving, which is trivia that is relevant to actual life. Now all of you may thank me at your own um, leisure. And so none of the other teams, much like society in general, properly appreciated the public service provided by Professor Kentwood. The Homeland Ale was, to Professor Kentwood's disappointment, not a means to transmute lead into gold. In the years since, Professor Cowboy has remained remarkably alive and has as many adventures as Dr. Collier refuses to. They are still fixtures at trivia, though I myself have not attended in years. What I will continue to do is relate adventures from the life of Kentwood. And you will hear from me in the next episode. In that episode of Kentwood, Professor Eldridge Kentwood was Jacob Thompson, Dr. Daniel Sebega was Charles Berman, Lester Street was Pete Bowers, Dr. Aldo Quentin Collier was Daniel Schwartz, Megan was Sarah Diaz, Dr. Augustus Amadeus Cowboy III was Mickey Weishner, Connor was Mickey Weishner, Delia DeKalb was Angela Schwartz, Dr. Gina Brewster was Sarah Diaz, and Chad was Angela Schwartz. 
Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On October 7th, 2003, actor Arnold Schwarzenegger is elected governor of California, the most popular state in the nation with the world's fifth largest economy. Schwarzenegger was one of 135 candidates on that ballot, which included career politicians, other actors, and one adult film star. Mr. Schwarzenegger. Yeah, what is going on? Well, first let me congratulate you on being elected, but I have to ask you about your uh, 400 children. What about them? Well, we're somewhat suspicious about the ability to have that many children in the short space of time that you've been in this country. Perhaps you are not familiar with my body of film. Your body is made of film? I think I was referring rather to my cinematic career. Excuse me! Excuse- yes, I know this is the governor's mansion, get off me! Excuse me, sir! Sir, I want to talk about this here, governor! Go ahead. What do you want? He stole 200 of my babies. What? They were the 200 shorter ones. I don't see what the problem is. I made 200 babies and I got the money from the government for all of them and he took them. Madam, are you raising an objection? I am. What? What's that? Wait, it's, it's sort of like a child. You raise a child, you raise an objection. I didn't get to raise no children. He took them all. Why? That's a federal offense. All right, whatever. Just give them back. Curses. Now to my escape pod. Governor Schwarzenegger did jump into the governmental escape pod and never had to pay for the crime of kidnapping, which is, of course... A federal offense. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On October 14, 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis begins, bringing the U.S. and the Soviet Union to the brink of a nuclear conflict. Photos taken by a U-2 spy plane offered evidence that Soviet-made missiles were stationed 90 miles off the U.S. coastline. What am I seeing in these spy photos, Secretary of Defense? Well, it seems very strange, like my middle name. I'd agree that this is very strange. Maybe you could elaborate some. Well, it it looks like a growth of bacteria on the photographic plates. That's disgusting. Did you wash your hands after using the bathroom? That's irrelevant. We'll have to bomb. That, mm, normally I would be eager to point out that you should always wash your hands after using the bathroom. But I do love bombing things. Mm, I say we go for it. Bombs away. And they would have, in fact, bombed Cuba had they not both gotten sick and died because they hadn't washed their hands after going to the bathroom. This is This Day in History. Morning, President John F. Kennedy. WHRW Binghamton. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On October 21st, 1959, the Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum opens in New York City. Designed by acclaimed American architect Frank Lloyd Wright, the modern structure marked a bold departure from traditional museum design. Let's listen. Hey, honey. Look at all them paintings and stuff. Uh, yep. That's some good painting right there. I think this is what them culture people call museum. Yep. Guggenheim. What kind of a name is that for a museum? Ah, my gum's out of flavor. Just as well. I spit on your puny museum. Wow, this is really a beautiful... Hey, what's this on my shoe? Ew, you have gum on your shoe. I'm so embarrassed. Hey, look, honey, live art. Uh Uh-huh, it's funny. And so the Guggenheim Museum closed on its opening day and has never opened its doors again since then. This is why you should never spit your gum on the ground, in public especially. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But don't start digging yet. 
my name's Roy Sinjin and this is Where Are They Now in History on Casting Wax. And you probably don't realize how much the mole people had to do with that day in history. Ever since their first meeting with mankind back in the days of Muhammad, the mole men have been plotting their revenge on the surface world. It was in fact about halfway through the 20th century that they realized the best way to kill off mankind was some sort of super germ virus biological attack. But they thought, well, how can we be sure that the germs will stick to the surface world and not come down below us? That is when they started the craze of gum spitting. They subtly tried to make all of mankind start spitting their gum out in public so that all germs would go float down to the ground and stick on the gum and never go down below the ground because the gum on the ground would keep them stuck to the surface of the world. It's really disgusting, which is why you should never spit gum because it will help the mole people kill us. But thankfully, responsible people have been spitting their gum in trash receptacles. So next, mole men said, all we have to do is make sure people don't wash their hands, we'll be fine. But the tragic death of John F. Kennedy proved to everyone that they have to wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. You didn't know it was about mole people, but it is. They kept on trying all sorts of crazy different ways to get germs to take over all of mankind until around 2000 when they said, all right, this isn't working. We need to produce the germs in a giant factory. What we need to do is send someone to the surface to kidnap lots of children to come down here and work in our germ factory. The person they sent, of course, was Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is actually a mole person. You didn't think he was because he's so tall. No, those are stilts. Don't be fooled. He did kidnap children, which is a federal offense. Of course, if you are not a citizen of the United States because you are a citizen of Molania, then you can just be killed on sight if you try kidnapping someone. So if you are a mole person, don't kidnap people. But of course, if you are a human being, make sure you don't kidnap people, but also wash your hands and don't spit your gum on the ground. It's disgusting. My name is Rory Sinjin and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten by Pete Bowers, Mickey Weishner, and Charles Berman. Season 2, Lesson 14, Aliens Aggravate Nathan Van Etten. There are many lost souls on this earth, ripe for my taking, and there are untold riches available, ready to be showered on anyone who does my bidding. Temptation fulfillment, that's my bag. One such person who is about to sell me his soul is Nathan Van Etten. Huh? What do you want most in this world, Nathan? What is your greatest desire? Well... At the moment, I'm working on painting the details of my Battle Beyond the Stars 1 127th scale lead miniatures. So I guess I desire more paint and an electron microscope. Okay, well, all that can be yours, Nathan. Yes, yours. But you must sign me your soul. Uh, okay, where do I sign? Right here on the dotted line. Oh, no, 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 I know how that works. I sign away and give you all my money, and then when I get there, no bridge, and I have to build it myself, and I don't even like bridges. Besides, you are just the voice in my head this time. You don't actually have hands. Or paper. At least, you sound pretty nice, and you're not trying to get me to murder people or shouting insults at me. But right now, I have to work on these miniatures. Dad and Jane are in the other room doing... Something. And if I was going to do anything else, I'd have to pass by them. Do it, Nathan. Do it. When you do it, you will vomit on them. And speak in foreign languages that I will dictate to you. You must. Ooh! Like Cantonese? That sounds pretty cool. I've always wanted to talk like Eddie Cantor. And I'd love to vomit on Jane. Nathan, how characteristic of you to interrupt Jane and I during the climactic moments of our viewing of the complete cineography of Akira Kurosawa. Mr. Van Etten... Nathan's presence here really does not contribute to the mise-en-scene of the room. Very good, Jane. Um, 
Hi! Hojimen! I'm almost impressed, Nathan, but Akira Kurosawa is Japanese, not Chinese. Ah, uh, thanks? I'm going back to the Battle Beyond the Stars. I've read half of the back of Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, and the only fantastic element there is that movies don't have chapters. Those are for books! And if he kills himself in the end, who's the bad guy? Well, thanks again, Nathan. You've ruined my life, and my relationship with my family, and now you've ruined this movie. Glad to be of service, Jane. I hate you, too. All right, Nathan. Perhaps you'd better leave us. Go back to your unrealistic science fiction, which allows you to deny the very real splendors of the natural and human world in favor of cheaply invented frivolity. Well, fine then. I will. Almost certainly, Jane. I can understand your being on edge, but not all unusual noises are fissures opening up in the earth. Guys! Clearly that was a UFO landing in the backyard! I know what they sound like from playing UFO Pilot 4000! I'm going to investigate! Oh. My. God! You swore your soul to me, Nathan. Quiet, Satan head voice! Would you shut up for like five seconds? It's about to open! Look at that hatch! Sleep, sleep. I am Zorko the alien from the alien planet Zorko. Wow! That sucks! That's like my parents naming me the World Van Etten. Or them naming the world Nathan. Hey, Satan voice, come back! I have another idea for you! Bleep, bleep. The Earth human references in your word language are unfamiliar to Zorko. Oh, Faiwa! Mm, bleep, yes, crap indeed. Our translator bot understands Cantonese as well. Thanks, Satan! Mm, bleep, bleep, ah, you stupid humans. You have not yet reached the point of our alien science, which has determined that we are alone in a godless universe. That is why I wanted to talk to you, actually. Well, of course you want to talk to me! What can I do for you as a representative of humanity? Although you stupid humans are on the brink of destroying yourself with your so-called A-bombs. Do you mean ass or actual bombs? Because I don't have any of those and only one of the other. Bleep, actual bombs, stupid self-destructive human. Unfortunately, your primitive species was the only sapient life form within reach. We Zorkos from the planet Zorko, while morally superior to your petty race in every way, Need your help. We have destroyed our planet in a series of devastating wars. Yep. Using our deadly Z-Ray. I am the last of my kind. Yep. Z-Ray? Does it put you to sleep? With all the Z's? Mm, no, it kills you. I just send that. Cool! Mm, no, unrelated to temperature. And totally uncool to use your Earth colloquialisms. My race has destroyed itself. I am the last of my kind. It's beyond your puny human capacity to understand tragedy. Hey! I read half of the back of Macbeth! I knew it was gonna be bad! Just like your race dying! Mmm, bleep bleep. Thank you for the sympathy, moronic imbecile. Now you must help me. By your clock time, we only have one hour. Yep. By my watch time, in one hour, it's snack time. This better be quick. God! Aliens are so demanding! I wish you'd just 
fly off so I could go back to my science fiction. Yep, I have the genetic material to restore the Zorko race and blast it back to Zorko contained in my space capsule. But while the Zorko race is morally and intellectually superior, to activate the repopulation rocket we must use your human supply of ingenuity. Go, apply your ingenuity to the space capsule. Huh? Figure out how to blast the seeds back to Zorko. It's my race's only hope. By doing it, you would be doing the greatest deed ever accomplished by the human race. If you do not, you are committing genocide and destroying the Zorko race forever. Now I have been poisoned by your poisonous Earth atmosphere. I die. How the hell am I gonna do this? You're on your own here, buddy. Well, crap. Ooh! Buttons! Oh my god! Look at all this nifty stuff! This is like 127 times bigger than my one 127 scale model of... of anything! Oh man! Is this a lava lamp? Maybe it's an experiment. What's in here? Is this box a toilet? Activating alien toilet. Oh man! That is one galactic-class toilet! I'd hate to see what clogged pipes would do to this place. I could use a toilet like that. That's a mean toilet. You know what? I'll be out in a minute. Oh man, watch. I agree. It is snack time. But the house is so far away! Ugh, and I have to open, like, two whole doors! Oh, I know! Maybe these aliens have alien snacks! Like... Alien snacks! Hmm. Oh man! This is one poorly stocked kitchen! Well, I think it's a kitchen. There sure are a lot of knives everywhere! Oh look! Gummy bears! And they're individually wrapped! Wow! These things are huge! They're like... Baby-sized! Oh, juicy! <sighs> Meatier than I expected. Is that a hint of boysenberry? The juice is all red and bloody, so it must be berry-like. And look! There's like a million of them! An entire race of gummy bears waiting to be eaten! This is the best snack time ever! Stasis field deactivated. Zorko embryos preparing for human ingenuity. Oh, that's right, computer. I gotta ingenuity all of these snacks. Or is that in jest? No, I'm pretty sure it's ingenuity. Mm. Oh, God. So much berry. Oh, boy. Uh, you might not want to go in there for a while. I'm pretty sure... I just... Oh, my word! Hey, Satan! You want some gummy bears? Alien flavor, of course. Nathan Van Etten, what are you doing? I'm offering the Lord of Darkness a tasty snack? Is that against your religion or something? Why are you eating the Zorkos? Um, because they are delicious? Nathan, how many of them are left? Um, two. One. I've seen some pretty cruel things in my day. 
I have personally done awful things to the souls of countless sinners, but this, you just ate an entire alien race because you got hungry. I did not! Can't you hear? There's still one left! You... you disgusting. You... you are truly a force of evil. Compared to you, I'm nothing. You are the true lord of darkness. Here, please, buy my soul. No thanks, Satan. I've already got one, and it's full of delicious snacks! Oh god, I'm... I'm going to be sick. Oh, that was delicious! Why don't I go ahead and tell you the lesson that I've learned? No, please. Have mercy. I've learned today that alien spaceships are crammed full of gummy bears! The end! Haha! <laughs> that was the last one! Now it's the end! <laughs> oh, well, maybe you'll be around to eat an alien culture when you hear the next Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten. In that lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten, the voice was Carl Bernhardson, Nathan Van Etten was Mickey Weishner, Jane was Aaron Morrissey, Nathan's dad was Daniel Schwartz, Zorko of Zorko was Bailiff Quimby, and the alien computer was Jacob Thompson. Scabby Stories From a Cat in the Dark Hello, and welcome to Scapey Stories from a Cat in the Dark. My name is Jordan D. White, and as always, I have read a story to my young and darling cat, Mr. Scape White. Hello, everyone. And he is going to be telling that story to a special guest who we've brought in just to listen to the story and, you know, converse with him about it. Scape, why don't you tell us about what we're reading today? Okay, last time we read a story called The Murders in the Room Morgue, and it was about detective kind of named, uh, Dupin, and Dupin was here, and he listened to it, and he was kind of a pain in the butt, because he kept going like, wah, wah, wah. but this time, we brought in a different detective to listen to it. That's right, we did. This is, uh, we brought in one of the most famous detectives. Uh, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Yes, I'm pleased to meet you, Mr. White, and, uh, I'm also pleased to meet you, Mr. White. I can tell from the speck of cat food hanging off of your mouth that you are undoubtedly cat. And I can tell from the context of your standing next to this man and his relationship to you, that almost certainly he is your owner. Oh, that's, yeah, that's pretty impressive. You were, hey! It's very simple. All you had to do was look at the facts and interpret them to discern the truth. Yeah, I just, I wasn't going to tell you that you were right. When one observes the facts, one is almost always right, because the facts are almost always true. Yeah, that's true. Okay, you want to hear this story? I have no doubt that the information contained in this story will be absolutely essential to the investigation that will follow. Um, hmm, okay. This is The Mystery of Marie Rose by Edgar Allan Poe. And I can tell that we already have a mystery involved. I can tell this from the title, which mentions the mystery. That's true. Let me ask you, Mr. White, how long have you been involved with this <coughs> mystery? Well, uh, I don't know. I see. I heard it yesterday. So you do know. Oh, yeah, I forgot, and then I remember. Forgetting things on such a short term speaks to memory loss or some kind of lack of memoric ability. Yeah, I forgot. But okay, let me just... But while I'm remembering things, let me remember the story, and I'll tell it to you. Uh, it says it's a sequel to The Murders at the Rue Morgue. That's kind of... It's true because, only because it's got 
the main character and and Dupin in it. Character? Well, yeah. So, okay. Hey! Uh, just, you know, coincidences? Sometimes coincidences are pretty crazy. And people go, whoa, that's a big coincidence. It can't be a coincidence. It's got to be just true. But no, sometimes they're just coincidences. And sometimes they're not. I don't know. Just that's about coincidences. Now, you're going to think... Coincidences sometimes happen is what you're trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, the other day, when I heard about this girl named Mary Rogers being killed recently, you know that famous case of Mary Ro- Mary Rogers getting killed? Yeah. I'm know. not familiar with the case of Mary Rogers. It's really famous. It's in New York. She got killed. Very famous. Super, f- in all the newspapers, famous. Uh, and well, I can tell from the fact that she didn't employ my services that the mystery was not very difficult to solve. She was not able to employ anything she was dead. But she's dead. Newspaper famous, right? Okay. Well, when I heard about that, that reminded me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember when I, remember how I, in the previous story, said I was friends with the, the, the guy, Monsieur Dupin, who solved the mystery? Well, there's another mystery that he solved. And it wasn't about Mary Rogers, but it was about a girl named Marie Roger. And it was in Paris, where I was living with this dude. And it's pretty similar. It's pretty similar to this Mary Rogers thing. So I figure I should tell you about it. Now, let me ask you. You say you were living in Paris. Yeah. What were you, an English-speaking cat, doing living in Paris? Oh, we just would hang out. Me and Dupin just kind of hang out, hung out. He solved this mystery. That it was really orangutan. And... I can tell you, Mr. White, yeah. I, as a great detective and an expert on the criminal world, I'm familiar with every great detective in the world. I know all of their names, and I know all of their cases. And the only detective of whom I know, named Dupin, is entirely fictional. Yeah, yeah, this is a story, Sherlock Holmes. Do you mean to tell me all this time you've been telling me a fictional story? Oh, man, dude, if you think this is a long time, you got, you got to relax, because this is, like, page two. I got a lot of stuff to cover. Right, I'll sit back. All right. Would now, you like some cocaine? No, please. Help, help, help yourself. Um, okay, so... After we solved the mystery of the orangutan, Japan was just like, cool, I'm going to go back to just chilling. So this was like two years later, right? Two years after we solved that mystery, there there was this thing that happened with this girl named Marie Roger. And the, what happened was, she was working at this perfume store and everybody loved her. She was so pretty and they were like, Marie Rose, you are amazing, and we love just coming into this perfume store to see how beautiful you are. Everybody loved her. And then one day, she disappeared. Nobody knew where she was, and people were coming to the shop and go, where's the perfume girl? And he would go, I don't know where she was. I, I, I don't even know. And then everybody freaked out, and it was in the newspapers. Wah, wah, wah. Where'd she go? And perfume girl is so pretty, but she's gone. About a week later, she came back, and she, and everybody was like, where, where were you? We were all freaking out. And she goes, I was Based just- on my knowledge of employment practice, Practices, I can tell you she was almost certainly fired in the meantime. Well, no, because the guy missed her, too. He, oh. he was like, well, I don't know where you are. She just said, I, I was, hey, I'm sorry, I was just uh, visiting a, f- a relative, so. And, yeah, somehow she didn't get fired. You, you think you have to give notice, but she didn't. Anyway, so everything went back to normal. And then a bunch of times later, she stopped working at the perfume place because she was like, I'm sick of it. And a bunch of times later, uh, she went missing again. And everybody went, 
She's missing again. Where is Marie Rosé? Where is Marie Rosé? And four days later, they found her dead in the river. I can determine that the reason that she hadn't come back was that she was dead. You're right. And they were like, how did she die? Who killed her? Well, remember how I said Japan solved the mystery with orangutan? Yes. Yeah. I, when I told that story last time, I told how he did it. Like, hey, here's how he did it. He thought about this and then he thought about that and he read a newspaper and da 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 Well, I could have done that. Yeah, I well. Hired me. But I told it in the story, but in real life, nobody else knew all of those things but me. So everybody was like, Dupin was like, did a miracle by figuring it out. He's like, Im- he's amazing. So the police were sort of like, he does miracles. Basic. And so they came to him and said, hey, uh, Mr. Dupin, um, uh, you know, there's this girl missing, and then she she's dead, actually, it turns out. If you could figure out who did it... Oh, yeah, because I forgot to say. What happened was, she went missing. They found the body, and they went, okay, she was killed, so we're going to find who did it. Easy. It's going to be easy. They didn't. And then eventually, they get. They were like, okay, we'll give you a thousand pounds if you, if you, fi- if you could tell us who did it. And then it didn't... Nobody... They couldn't figure it out. And then they were like, okay, okay, okay. We'll give you 3,000 pounds if you could. And then nobody did it. Nobody did it. And it kept going farther in time and more and more time. And then eventually... It was a waste of money. They could easily have hired a private consulting detective that would have charged much less than this. And in fact, would have solved the mystery quicker. Right. If you go to www.sherlockholmessolvesyourcase.com, you will find very reasonable and inflexible rates. Oh, but this was before internet. This is a very old story. What new case could this possibly relate to? It's the one about Mar- Mary Ro- Rogers. Okay, no, no, but listen. Well, that's, that's the old case. Yeah, but that's... Okay, yeah, but this uh, this whole thing takes place a long time ago. They, they got... Uh, the point is, that it went all the way up to 30,000 francs. Whatever that means. So they said to Dupin... Francs are a form of currency formerly used in France. Well, that's what it was going to be. Francs. Like hot dogs. Dupin well, I was... can tell you that this story most likely takes place in France. I, yeah, I told you. I was living in Paris. Paris? the capital city of France, also a smaller city in several other countries. But the largest Paris is in France, so I can tell you that most likely, given the currency and the likelihood of Paris being in France, given its population, that this is very likely a French setting for this story. It is. So, they said to Dupin, if you could solve it, we would give you the money, please. If you could tell us who killed Marie Rose. So, Dupin was like, yeah, I'll do it, of course, obviously, I could do it. Wait, they went to Dupin? Yeah, the, the, the priest came to him and said, I will, do, can you solve it? I'll give you all this money because nobody else has solved it. But I know Dupin. All he does is sit around at home and wait for someone to show up in the newspaper. And then he shows up at the scene of the crime and tries to take credit. Well, that's what, he, what happened was he says to me, okay, dude, escapee, I accepted the case. Do me a favor, go out and buy every newspaper that talks about it. He doesn't even subscribe to the newspapers? He subscribes to one, but he had me go out and buy all of them. And get- what is it? Does he does he not have enough money to, to, not to, to subscribe to the newspaper? No, we, were, we only could afford, like, a, a mansion that was not that nice. Why is this such a great detective... So short of funds, I can only conclude that either he refuses to take payment for his services or is not, in fact, the greatest detective. Well, the orangutan didn't pay us for that one. I thought the orangutan was the murderer. Yeah, so he was like, I'm not paying for this. Well, honestly, the murderer rarely pays me. 
Also. All right, so so I got out the newspapers and I and we we read the information. Now here's what we gleaned from the newspapers. Okay, Marie Rose left her mom's house on on the morning of Sunday. She was like, "I'm going to my I'm going to visit my aunt and then I'll be back tonight." And she said, "Hey, boyfriend, who is my fiance boyfriend? Tonight I will meet you here and we'll go out and we'll have a date. You know, sexy." And um, then what happened was they never saw her again. Okay. What happened was the boyfriend, it started to rain that night. And the boyfriend went, well, she's probably not going to come back in the rain. She's just going to stay over her aunt's house. I'll see you tomorrow. And so the next day he was like, all right, where is she? And they, everybody said, we don't know. We don't know where she is. And they went, did she go to her aunt's? Aunt, was she there? No, she didn't go to her aunt's. She wasn't nowhere. Nobody knew where she was. Then, a couple, of, like I said, two days later after that, they found her dead body in the river. This dude named Beauvais, okay, he found her and he knew her. So he was like, oh, dude, that's her. That's Marie Rose. Gross. She's dead. And her body was all dead and gross and blah, blah, right in the river. Yuck, yuck. And her, her dress was torn a bit. And she had, like, a, 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 a rip of her dress torn off and then tied around her. Like, so am I, am I supposed to solve who killed her? Not yet. Not yet. There's so much more information. She had a finger tied around her waist that was ripped off of her dress. And then she had another thing tied around her, like, face, neck area that was tied around her. But it was, like, loose. Loose. And um, he was like, oh, dude, that's definitely her. It's terrible. It's terrible. And uh, that's so that's the basic. That's the basic facts of the case. Now, here's some details. Okay. Some a bunch of the newspapers were like, I bet you her fiance did it. What about that? And then some of them were like, uh, there's one newspaper that was like, hey, I bet you she's alive. What? Yeah. And here's what, let me, let me tell you what that one said. It was like, uh, everybody says that that was her body out of the river, but if it was floating in the river, then it probably wasn't her because it takes a long time for bodies to get so they float after they drown. So, and anyway, uh, you know, there was, so there wasn't enough time. If they killed, if, if it killed her, like, in the first second after she walked out of her house, maybe, but like, obviously that wouldn't be the case because duh, so that, what are the odds of that? Well, it would take me a long time to count calculate the odds of that but i i wonder what you need the data for uh, what exactly are you well, are you paying but, me to oh, solve i'm not going to i'm not going to pay you but i was going to say that wait don't go wait 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 but, but why what here's the part why should i say the reason you... they said right the reason they said obviously because they were like if they killed her the second she walked out they would have to drag her body to the river in the sunshine and who would do that? So they, it must have been like late at night, like probably after midnight, probably. And then no one would drag a body in the sunshine after midnight. Right, that's what I'm saying. So you have to drag it in the moonshine. In most parts of the world, including Paris, the sun does not shine after moonlight. True, true. Now it's also possible that they killed her and just left her body on the ground and then threw her in the water later. But then we would have found like evidence or something, probably. Evidence or something is exactly what they should be looking yeah, for. Yeah, and they didn't find it. So that's what that newspaper said. That's what that newspaper said. Oh, and also they were like, hey, that dude, Mr. Barvey, he was like, yeah, that's definitely her. That's definitely her. And then he he, he 
He didn't. He was like, don't show her to anybody else. I'm just going to say it's her. Don't show it to the family. Just quick, bury her in the ground because gross. And so they were like, yeah, maybe he didn't because he knew it wasn't her. And maybe he, you know, killed her. All important possibilities. Now, is this something that he was gathering at the scene or was he just reading all this in the newspaper? Who? Mr. Bervais? No, this detective, the fake detective in the mansion. Japan, my friend. Yes. That I live with. This is, I'm reading to you, right now I'm telling you what the newspaper said. He didn't think any of this stuff. This is just what the newspaper said. So this has all been determined by a reporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and also the reporter was like, hey, uh, if that was really her dead, how come her family wasn't even upset about it? That's well, not- from the fact that this detective is only reading the information in the newspaper and doesn't actually go to find anything out, I can determine that he's very... Very lazy. No, 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 no. You got... He's reading all of these newspapers. Yes, very lazy. No, how many newspapers do... Do you know how many newspapers I read? I have no... Uh, well, let me take a look. I can see from your pause that there are no newsprint smudges. And I can tell from the height of the computer set in this room that you, at your size, would have difficulty sitting at it for long periods of time to read a newspaper. So from that, I can conclude that you do almost no newspaper reading. Correct! Zero! That's how many I read! He read, like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, Yeah. Well, you probably do things... Other than reading the newspaper when you're not reading them. Yeah. So not reading the newspaper does not necessarily make one lazy. Well, okay, r- r- listen, listen. And so then there was another newspaper that was like, hey, uh, we're pretty sure that she was probably, like, attacked by a bunch of thugs. Now, granted that uh, fiction is a waste of time when there are real crimes to be solved, I have to say that this... Story, based on my knowledge of fiction, seems to be extremely bad. No, 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 no. It seems to be a story entirely about people sitting at home and reading a newspaper. No, no, wait, hold on. In the, in the world of the story, the story is real. And since I'm basically being the character in the story right now, it's real. You're saying that the story becomes real because you are pretending to be a character from it. Yeah. So as far as you're concerned, there is a real dead woman outside. Well, I mean, this is this is me telling a story about like when I lived in Paris years ago. So it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. But it was totally true. So this other newspaper was like, I think a bunch of thugs took her. The reason I think that is because she is really f- famous and popular. Remember, everybody liked her because she's perfume girl. So if she was walking around, obviously somebody would have seen her. So then a bunch of thugs must have grabbed her like right away. That's the only explanation. Let me guess. And then he read some more of the newspaper. No, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I'm still. We're still just at the newspaper summary part. I thought as much. It was impossible that he would continue. And as I always say, when one of his has eliminated. The the impossible, only the possible remains, or something like that. No, it is possible because he d- he did continue. We kept reading some more newspapers. So another one was like a little bit later. Oh, guess what? Some new evidence. Some some new evidence. What do you think of that? Uh, there was a place uh near the river where we found a bunch of stuff. Like a handkerchief that said Marie Rose, and also like an umbrella. And also, like, I don't know, a pair of gloves or something. So this was her fan merchandise. And a petticoat. No, no, no. No. Dude, they're saying it was her stuff. It had her name on it, not because, like, hey, I'm a fan of her. It was like, this is mine. I see. So she was an egoist. I can tell from the fact. I think she just... What if somebody stole it? The fact that the thing was stolen does not mean the owner was not an egoist. No, it wasn't stolen. I'm saying she was protect. 
I mean, it was after. Okay, look, look, look. They found all this stuff. These two boys found this stuff, and it was in the grass. And it was all, you know, grass was, it was like the grass was growing around it. So it was probably there for, the newspaper said, it was probably there for like weeks and weeks. In other words, it's probably, this is where she was killed. And then they, then they threw her in the water just nearby. Get it? I see. Yeah. So the newspaper writer was trying to be a detective himself. Well, I think he was just reporting what everybody figured. So everybody was trying to be a detective. Everybody wants to know who killed her. And everyone was trying to be a detective, and Dupin was doing the same thing absolutely everyone was doing. Yeah, but, but he's better. Okay, so that's what they found. And then they were like, oh, now that we know that we think this is where she was killed, we'll look around. And they went and they found another inn nearby, and they talked to the person who ran the inn and the person who ran the inn was like yeah I saw a girl who kind of looked like that and she was with a dude uh, and uh, what happened then oh and then a little bit after she came in after she was here there was a gang of thugs who came in and they ate all my pies and they didn't pay for it. Thugs. Yeah, they ate the pies and they did not pay no money. Well I can conclude that they are criminals. Yeah and then they left and then Later, they came back, the thugs came back, and they were like, oh, we gotta go, we gotta go. And they, then they left really fast. Yeah. And then later, I heard a girl scream, like, one time. So, it was probably those thugs killed her and then ran off. And that's what the detective is saying. No, no, that's what the news, that's what the, the, the person who ran the inn said to the newspaper. So this is not really a detective story as much as a newspaper writes stories story. No, I'm, where the detective is reading the newspapers. So it's a detective reads the newspaper story. Yeah, well, that's how you have your methods. <laughs> so? And he has his. Which is reading the newspaper? Well, look, you can't argue with results, but wait for the end, and then I'll show you the results. Okay. Um, so, then we finished reading the newspapers. And then the story ended? No, no. Then So then Dupin was like, okay, escaping. <sighs> that was pretty... Actually, can I tell you something? He didn't actually... Yes, I thought that was the whole thing that was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually didn't read all of the newspapers. Like, a bunch of them I read, and I told him what happened. You just said that you didn't read any newspapers. I forgot. Remember how I forget? Okay. Ah, from this I can conclude you're either a liar or very forgetful. Yes. So, so still Japan was like, okay, Skypey, cool, cool, cool. I got all the information... That's good. Uh, here, here's the deal. The difference between the orangutan case and this case. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said the orangutan case was two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy is supposed to be a great detective. And the only other example he can think of is the one case you've already described, which was two years prior. Yeah, that was the last case we did. We were just chilling in the house, reading newspapers since then. From that, the evidence leads me only to conclude that Dupin is either very lazy or not a detective. Here's what he was like. The difference between the orangutan case and this case is that the orangutan case was weird. And that's why it was way easier. Everybody thought, oh, this is a normal case. That's why it's going to be easy. That's why they didn't offer a reward. But they were wrong. The reason it's hard to figure out is because it's so normal that there's like a billion, million, smillion possible outcomes. Like How much is a smillion? Like really, very high. Speaking of, would you like some cocaine? No, please. Help yourself. So, so he was like, okay, 
There's a million possibilities. Um, I, was, I mean, obviously I'm going to solve it, but that's why they couldn't figure it out. Now, first things first. The detective asked us to find who killed Marie Rosé, right? If we discover that this dead body is not Marie Rosé and then we figure out who killed the dead body, he's going to be like, I'm not going to pay you. because. Why did the detective ask this guy who'd only solved one case two years ago? Remember how I said everybody thought it was like a miracle because they didn't know how he did it. So they were like, he's basically magic. So he was claiming to have magic powers just to get work. No, he didn't claim it. Everybody just assumed. And he didn't tell them it wasn't magic. He was reading the newspaper. So he could read what everyone wrote that it was magic and was lying about him and he could easily just say, no, sorry, it wasn't magic. There's no such thing. He would have had to... Go see them. Look, he he's getting his priorities straight. He goes, first things first. If that if we find out that's not her, they're not gonna pay us. They're gonna go, We asked you to find Marie Rose's murderer, and that's not her, so obviously we're not gonna And if we find out she's alive, same thing. They're gonna go, I'm not gonna pay you. She didn't get killed. So first we have So to, he plotted to murder her no, to she's ensure not, she was dead. No, no. So first we have to prove that that's her. So So his main goal is getting money. Yeah. Because remember, we didn't get paid last time. So, for instance, if you were to hire a detective and not pay him, that would be wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so if you were to hire a detective to listen to a story about a bad detective... Who, I don't know who would do that. So... What I'm saying is... Wait, 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 I'm not done. So, he goes, first things first, we gotta prove that's her, the dead body. So, let's talk about the first newspaper article that said she was not. And I will go through point by point to show you why it is wrong. <sighs> I I think you steamrolled over my point, Mr. White. Yeah, but this is a... Do- no, the point was to do the story. So, the point that he was making was... Uh, so, that newspaper was wrong. Because they were like... It takes a long time for a body to float. Wrong. Wait, so I'm just here to listen to the story. And to talk to me. All right, now I'll do the talking to you. No, no, but first you got to listen. I only do the talking to you after the entire story. If you don't understand, you can ask a question. I don't understand this. I don't understand why it is that you think it's okay to hire me to listen to the story but not pay me, but you don't think it's okay to hire Auguste Dupin to solve a case of a missing dead girl and not pay and not pay him. I think everything will become clear if I finish the story. I'm afraid everything is already clear, Mr. White. Don't you... be afraid. Well, actually, wait, do be afraid. It's a very scary story because it's about murder. I deal with murder on a day-to-day basis. But you just said Detective the story Co- made you afraid. So, that's what... Hold on to that feeling. Okay, so he goes, I'm going to go point by point and disprove this newspaper article that we talked about. Uh, hey, they said it would take a long time for everybody to float. Wrong. For lots of reasons. First of all... Wait a minute. Wait, I'm, this is important. This is a real exciting part of the story. Oh, it's going to float. No, it's not. It's not going to take a long time because her body could float in only a day. And also, she didn't drown. She was thrown in the water, so it's different. And she had air in her body. Okay, so she could float. Also, he said the guy didn't want to identify the body. Didn't want anybody to see it. But that's because he's like, remember how you said egoist? That's that guy. And he was like, hey, I'm the guy who identified the body. Also, he, she was gross, so he didn't want the family to see it. Also, it said the family was not upset, but they were upset. So that's just stupid. So. So. Yeah. This bad, fake detective. No, no, dis- no. You said at the beginning it was a fictional story. But to me, it's real. So this fake but real-to-you detective who okay. was doing a bad job 
No. Was using newspapers as his major source of information and knew that the newspapers were so bad that he could tick off everything that was wrong with the story in the one, in, in one go. Yeah. So he was deliberately using a bad source of information. Well, if you look at it from a certain point of view, he was, yeah, doing that. Well, good. I'm glad we have established that he was using bad sources of information to so-called solve this crap. Okay, there's more. So, so, okay, what he's doing, just so you know, what he's doing is he's basically, he knows that everybody reads the newspapers, and so everybody's going to be, like, influenced by the newspaper. So if he solves the crime, people are going to go, hey, but what about that newspaper that said it wasn't her? And he's going to go, no, here's why that's wrong. So he knows that the only information he has is the newspaper information that everyone has, which he knows is all bad. Not all of it. Mostly. Lots so of it. That that one was super wrong. So I said to him, okay, cool. What did you think about that other newspaper article about how it was flung? So he knows that newspapers are wrong a lot. Maybe there wasn't even a dead girl at all. Maybe there was no Marie Roger. Maybe it was just a French person who misspelled Mary Rogers and got everything wrong. And he's not even solving a crime. How does he even know? Well... I mean, you gotta you gotta accept certain things, you know. As a as you gotta accept the premises on some level, dude. No, I'm a detective. I can only accept facts. But that's the, if you accept the facts. That's the so we're accepting the fact of the murder. Okay, look, I said to him, "What do you think about the one where the guy about where there's thugs?" And he goes, "Oh, the one where the guy said." She couldn't have been walking because everybody would have recognized her? Well, no, he's probably wrong. You know why? Because he's a dude who writes for newspapers and writes about, you know, politics and stuff. And he just walks around the area of town where the newspaper is and where politics happen. And everybody knows him. And so when he goes out to walk, people are like, hey, dude, how you doing? And so he's thinking, obviously, whenever anybody walks around, people go, hey, how you doing? But that's not true for everybody. Wait a minute. So first of all, this guy thinks that newspaper writers are celebrities. Wait, are you talking about Dupont? Yeah. No, I mean, he, he just, no, he's saying they walk around the town, part of town where other newspaper writers are. And so the other newspaper writers are like, hey, dude, I know you. You're uh, Just like if you walk around Detective Town, you'd be like, huh? oh, hey, Detective, how are you, Detective? How are you? If I walked around Detective Town, it wouldn't be in Paris, and so... Dupin wouldn't be there, so he's not a detective. No, well, okay, now you're just getting me. When have you ever read a story about Sherlock Holmes, the world's nicest detective? I don't, I don't, I don't read stories about him. So why did you hire me? I didn't. Okay, hold on. There's more to the story. So that's what he thought about that article. And I said, hey, what did you think about the other article where they f- talked about finding her stuff on the ground? And he goes, oh, that article? Here's what I thought about that. Uh, it said they found a grass grown around it and, like, mold on it and stuff, so it was there for weeks. No, it could have been there for, like, like a day because grass grows really fast. Duh. So, uh, it was wrong, too. But he doesn't know how much grass there was. All he's read is an article that says there was grass. Well, and yeah, that's another an thing. An article that said it was enough grass for several weeks. I know, but that's decided- the other thing. He was like, hey, the article said grass grew around it, but it also said the little boys found it and they took it. So it's just trusting that little boys were like, hey, grass grew around it. And they're going, oh, based on that, we think. So that's... 
wrong. Because little boys can't tell you anything. Not with any reliability. I will tell you, in fact, little boys are the best, most reliable subsidiary detectives. Well... If I need an assistant, I always hire a little boy because they work extremely cheap. There are always homeless little boys outside my apartment, and I just give them one coin, and they go do all the work for me. What about Dr. Watson? Well, him too, but he's usually with me, so if I need someone to go off and do something that, that's not writing the story, I just give find a homeless boy and give him a coin. Well, I think I'm a better writer than him, anyway. So, point is, we, that's, he told me all the things that were wrong with all those articles that we talked about. And so then he goes, okay, Scapey, here's what I'm going to do. You, Scapey, you just read over what the police find out, you know, all the, the interviews they did. But I'm going to, what I'm going to do, says Dupin, is I'm going to go read those newspapers again. But I'm not going to read the stuff about Marie Rosé. I'm going to read about what else was going on in the world. So he just wants to keep on reading more newspapers? Yeah, but, okay, just listen, just listen. So now he wants to solve the crime, so he's decided he's going to read the parts of the newspapers that are not about the crime. Yes, look, yes, because he's like, I gotta know what else was going on, what else was going on. And also, older newspapers, I'm going to read ones from a long time ago, too. That's... So he's, all his whole goal here is to read newspapers. Why doesn't he just call it the story of the detective who read some newspapers and then say that he's not going to solve the crime, he's going to read newspapers because instead? Because he's doing it to solve the crime. Just got to understand. He, this Why is doesn't his, he go look at the scene of the crime? Because it's been a long time. And also for... No, he doesn't even necessarily believe that is the scene of the crime, remember? Because it could have been fake. It okay. could have been, but he doesn't know because he never went there because he's no. been reading the newspaper. He didn't bother. He was just like, somebody already looked. Let me see what they said. Okay, look. So I read what all the interviews said. And I read... Oh, I was reading, for example, the parts where the dude, her, her fiancé was like, got all these people to swear that he had an hour by. So I was reading that. And yeah, it was true. He had an alibi. He didn't do it. So then I come back to Dupin and I'm like, yeah, alibi checks out. And Dupin goes, cool. Here, t- check these out. Check this out. This, this, this. These are some excerpts from the newspaper that I found. I think are pretty helpful. First of all, about three years ago, remember Marie Rosé went missing and then she came back? Well, this was before he was a detective and solved his one case. Yeah, but he read the newspaper back then too, and so he... he Of course, because that's the only thing he ever does. He looked back and he found this information, and so it said, yeah, she, hey, she went missing and then she came back and she said she was with her relative or something. But during that time when she was missing, there was evidence that said maybe she was with a Navy dude hanging out and so maybe that's what happened but she but she said obviously that she was with her relative and she didn't say that okay uh, then there was another thing about a dude and his wife and his daughter who were like out walking by the river and they saw some dudes with a boat and they were like, hey, we'll pay you to row us across to the other side of the river. And they were like, okay. And they did. And then the guy, people got out of the boat and they walked and then the daughter went, oh, I forgot my umbrella, my parasol in the boat. So she went back to the boat and the dudes with the boat went, ha 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 ha. And they grabbed her and they rowed out and then, you know, they tied her up and all sorts of stuff. And then they, you know, dropped her off somewhere else um, later. So that was really terrible. Then, then there was an article in another paper where somebody was like, hey, we've gotten a whole bunch of emails, I mean, regular mails, I guess, saying that Marie Rosé was probably killed by lots of gangs. Also, there was another article that said, hey, somebody found a boat just floating and uh, they took it in. And then the next day, somebody... 
it was already gone the next morning, even though the even though the person who found it took the rudder off. So somebody came and took the boat with no rudder. What do you think of that? So those were the ones that he had me read, and I was like, ah, uh, okay, I don't get it. And he was like, well, let me uh, let me just explain to you how how I totally solved the crime now. Wait a minute, he solved the crime already. Yeah, yeah. So he goes, okay, uh. <sighs> I'm not going to dwell too much on the fact that she disappeared once before, but I just want to point out everybody's like, hey, there's probably no connection, but is that true? I mean, I know, yeah, the first time she she probably, as you can tell from what she said, what probably happened was she ran off with a dude to get married, and then something happened where she got mad at him or something, and then she went home and went, I was at a relative's, but she was right. Obviously, she was right. So, uh, now you say you think that time she ran off and then she came back, this time she ran off and she's dead, so it's probably not the same, but I'm just saying, maybe... Maybe it is. Also, remember when we talked about a bunch of thugs took her? <laughs> normally, let me just tell you, as a detective, normally, if everybody just spontaneously thinks someone did it, they're probably right. Wait a minute. Why are they probably right? Because it's like instinct. And instinct is right. But... What's that based on? He's not a detective. He's just reading newspapers and he thinks that everyone thinks it's right. His instinct tells him it's right. So that's what the newspaper reports. So that's what he thinks is true. No, I'm, he just is saying, usually if everybody's just like, oh, that guy did it, they're, they're probably right because that's their instinct and instinct is right. But... Why? Wait, there's more. But in this case, you have what you have to check is, is it really instinct or is it being influenced? And in this case, obviously, the river has a problem with thugs. So well, why would instinct be right if it's not influenced by anything? Because then it's like some sort of connection to the world. Everything's a connection to the world. No, listen, in this case, look. In this case, it's not, they weren't right, because they, they only thought it was thugs because there's a problem with thugs. So they're like, oh, there's probably thugs. But what are the odds that there's two gangs of thugs doing the same thing? Not, pretty good. If there's thugs in a town, there's not, probably doing pretty much the same thing. The odds are less that there is two. It's probably just one gang of why? thugs. Why? Because, oh, here's the other reason why. I'll tell you why. Because, remember when they offered all that money, one of the thugs would have been like, hey, give me that money, I'll tell everybody. Uh, maybe, but not necessarily. Oh, well, I think they would. So, that's why we know it wasn't thugs. No, it could have been thugs, that's not evidence that it's not thugs. Yes, it is! Where's the evidence? That's just saying it's not thugs. You just read the article, and then you go, well, let's think about it, and then you go through the logic. So you read an article that says it could be thugs, and then determine, no, it's not thugs. Yeah, and, and so- And all the information comes from the articles. Multiple articles, yeah. So then back to when to the place where she was killed. Uh, I don't even believe that was necessarily where she was killed, but it could have been. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying the newspaper's wrong. So this is not any evidence one way or the other, but I just want to say the newspaper officially is wrong. If they're wrong, then the place they said it was isn't where it was. So that's so. It, then it might wasn't. have been, but if it is, it's not for the reasons they said. So they're still wrong. They don't have to show their work to solve the crime. They didn't solve the crime. I have to solve the crime. I'm, I'm, I'm being. So maybe I'm you should like Japan. look at I'm the criminal. Japan. Okay. Because he's talking. No, he's not. You're not saying anything. I'm, okay. Okay. So okay. There's more. There's more. Okay. Here's what I think happened. He says. Remember last time when she ran away and though she was with a dude. Well, I looked it up. Okay. What dude she was with. Don't ask me when, but I did. And she was with this dude, and he's been gone for three years, and now he's back. Coincidence, right? Well, maybe not. 
Also, he was a sailor. Remember how I said there was things tied around her? That was like sailor ties things. Uh, so probably what happened was this. He went with her. They met. They came across the river. They went to the inn where the dudes ate the pies. Oh, by the way, you want to know why she was like, the guys did it? Because they ate her pies and they didn't pay for it. So she was like, they're evil. But obviously... So if you use a service and don't pay for it, it makes you evil. But obviously they couldn't have done it because remember they left and then the screaming was after that. So, but if they did do it, it would be evil. To kill somebody? Yeah. No, to use a service and not pay for it. But that's not as bad as killing people. No, but it's still evil, right? Well, it's bad to kill people, if that's what you're asking. So, but is it still bad to use a service and not pay for it? Use a service? Yes. Yes. So, like, if you okay, hire wait, someone... Wait, 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 wait. I'm almost done. We're getting so close now. Well, my part wait, of my job wait, is wait, to... wait, 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 wait. Okay, so, here we go. But there's something I don't understand. About the story or about life? It has to do with both. I think it could wait. Oh, you do, do you? Yeah, okay, so, he goes, what happened was, she met up with the dude, the sailor. They came across the river, they hung out, they probably had another fight, just like they did last time. This time, he killed her, and then he was like, I'm gonna tie a rope around her, but I don't have a rope, so I'm gonna rip it off her dress, I'm gonna tie that around her and drag her, drag her, drag her. And then when he got, she got too heavy, he went, okay, now I'm going to tie another one around her neck and I'm going to drag her, drag her, drag her and I'm going to throw her in the water. And then he was probably the one going, hey, guess what? Uh, it was some thugs and sending those emails to the newspaper. And then... Why were they sending emails? I thought... Regular mails! Regular mails to the newspaper. Oh, he wrote it with a pen. Oh, somebody did it. Anyway, then he probably put her stuff there because people were like, that's where it happened. So then he was like, good, okay. Stuff, 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 stuff. Then, uh, he probably was the one who did it. That's where I'm going with this. So, now... Let's go back to this thing about it being bad to use someone's services and not pay That's them. not what the story's about. So... Well, why was it in the story, then? It wasn't. Yes, you said it while you were telling the story. Okay, well, it's a, it's a minor point. So, wait, my point is, so Dupin no, kind of... it's a major point. If it's no, wrong to do something, they were no, doing it. No, no, you're missing the point. So Dupin just figured out who did it, dude. And so he was like, that's the dude, that's the dude who did it. This is what I think. Let's, uh... Oh, so he figured out who did it and he probably got paid, right? Oh, wait, wait, I forgot about the boat. Okay, what happened was he, he dragged her to the river where he had a boat... And then he put her in the boat, and then he went out to the middle. That's why he didn't weigh her down. He just figured, oh, I forgot it. Oh, I'm just going to dump her. And so he dumped her. But then he got back across the river, and he went, oh, crud. I'm not going to tie this boat up because I feel too guilty about killing her. And so the boat just drifted, and that's the boat somebody found. And then when he found out somebody found it, he went, oh, no. And then he, because as a sailor, he found out about that. And then he went and got it, but he didn't want to see the guy to get the rudder. So he went, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to take it. So he took it. That's what I think. So, I think we all know then the sailor did it. Now, I'm back to being scapy. For reasons that I'm sure are obvious, I'm not going to go into us going out and finding the guy who did it. But Why is that wait, obvious? Wait, but why would you not do it? Suffice to say... I'm a great detective, and I don't know why that's obvious. Suffice to say, it, Japan was right, and we solved it. So, because he happened to read in the newspapers and guess right... He doesn't actually need to look at the crime to get it right. Wait, wait. The, so I just, so my, but, but I just wanted to tell you my point in comparing this very similar crime to the Marie Rogers crime, which is so super similar. I'm not saying that that's probably what happened to Mary Rogers. I'm not saying that somebody should look into it. I just am saying that it reminded me of it, and so I thought I would tell you. That's all I'm saying. You're being like really 
coy when you say that. You're saying that like you're saying that they actually should do that about Mary Robbins. Well, no. <laughs> Maybe. So, so wait a minute. This whole end. thing was written because... Dupin was sitting around reading more newspapers and he got to Mary Rogers. No, that was me. To... That was me. I was reading that newspaper. And you live with Dupin? No, not anymore. That was a long time ago. Why'd you move out? I came back to America where, you know, America is. Yeah, why'd you go away from France if you liked living with Dupin so much? Maybe that is a story for another time. So, Dupin just decided to guess because he was reading the newspapers and decided to make that mean he was a great detective. Well, no, he decided to guess because the... the, the policeman came and said, hey, will you solve it? We'll give you money. Yeah, why did they go to him? He shouldn't even have got money for that. He just looked at the paper. What if the paper hadn't reported that? What if there was a big story about a celebrity that day and they thought it was more important that they didn't print it? Then he wouldn't have been able to report on that. But they did, and he's the only one who figured it out. Because they didn't hire... Me. They just had this guy who's obsessed with reading old newspapers and sitting around in his mansion. But he solved the case from reading old newspapers and sitting in a mansion. So that's not going to work most of the time. The ends justify the means, my friend. No, that's a saying that people say when they mean that it doesn't justify the means. No, that's the opposite. No, nobody really thinks the ends justify the means. You think it's sarcastic? Yes. The ends justify the means. No, they... they they, they don't because he could still have got it wrong. He could have got the wrong ends. And if you keep solving crimes like that, you're getting most of them wrong. No, he didn't. He was right. Yeah, but if you keep doing it that way, you'll get it wrong a lot. I could say that about you. No, but I don't get it wrong because I actually go and find out the actual facts and then solve it like that. Do you think you could solve it with just the newspaper? It only only if the newspaper prints the right answer. So wait, let me ask you. No, it didn't print the answer. He figured it out. It printed it all out. the things he needed, but if it didn't print all the things he needed, then it wouldn't have worked. All right, let me ask you a question. Well, I'm saying is, do you think you could have solved a mystery just from reading the newspaper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I'm a great detective, so unlike this he, guy. No, he did it. He did the same as you. I wouldn't have needed to spend all my time looking at the newspaper. I would have looked at one and then gone and seen it with all the evidence there and then just solved it like that. But he's so good he doesn't have to do that. He just has to do step one, look at newspapers. No, because that'll usually fail. That most of the time won't work. Nope, it worked. This time, but most of the time it will Two be wrong. Two times basic. He went and looked Two at times basic versus uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of times basic. Yeah. I don't think you follow what I'm telling you. They're both equal 100. No, two Percent. and thousands and thousands. Percent. Don't either, neither of them equals 100. Percent. Of themselves. Yeah. So you no, guys both is, got 100%. No, two is much less than 100% of thousands and thousands and thousands. No, he, he has 100% success. Out of only two tries. And you have 100% success out of whatever, a zillion. That means that I can, I'm more productive. I get more done. It's more successful. But you're not any more right. I'm right more. But you're not more right. Listen, everybody out there, don't hire Dupin. He's not really He's just... a guy you hire anyway. He just was doing this one time. It's, it's not like he has a detective agency. So what's his deal? He just is hanging out reading newspaper. Okay, that's really lazy and stupid. He so doesn't don't have hire. to do anything else. What? You say lazy. He's fine. He doesn't need to do nothing else. Oh, so, so he should stop bothering with detective things and let detectives do it and stop taking all their prize money. He only did it because the priest came by. By the way, he got the money this time. Yeah, well, for reading the newspaper, he got paid all that money for reading the newspaper. I read some too. And you did, how much did you get paid? Well, he, you know, he put it towards, like, communal stuff. So nothing. I got to drink from the milk and stuff like that. Look, look, okay, 
You're making DuPont sound bad. Probably almost as bad as he made himself sound last time. But my point- Oh, so he was on this show before. Yeah, 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 yeah. He actually came on. He didn't just So he actually like him. broke away from his newspapers to yeah. come on the show. Yeah. And he said it was our trick. But I wrote, I don't believe him either. So Why do you think this guy's so great if nobody else does? He is a let me tell you. I almost said he is a detective, but he is the detective, aka the first Detective. No, he's not the detective. He's not even a detective. He's, he's a newspaper first, reader. He's the first detective solver. No, he's not even a detective solver. He's a guy who read the newspaper. Yeah, but he solved it like a detective. No, a detective goes and detects things. He detected from his armchair. All you can detect in your armchair is whether there's a paper to read and then see what somebody else detected. There the detective was. is all the reporters here who printed the story. No, the reporters were clearly wrong about everything. What are you talking about? He told they you point by point. He went through the, it. They told him all the facts that he so-called solved with. Except they're all the facts he knew about just stuff that he was like, they're wrong about everything. But that's where he got all his data. This is a stupid story. No, this is a true story. Truth. I'm stupid. No, no. Hey, you know what's a stupid story? Oh, uh, a story about a dog. All right, that was a burn. What? Story it's about like, a dog. It's a bad story. I didn't even tell you a story about a dog. Yeah, but you you have one. I don't have a dog. You I have don't, a story I about a dog. dog. I was in a story about a dog, yeah. and then I solved the, the mystery in that story. Yeah, that's dumb. Oh, well, pick another of my lots and lots and lots of stories, not the, like, two stories, and one of them is just reading a newspaper. Wait, you have one where you read a newspaper? Yeah, well, I've read a newspaper. All right. Did it solve the mystery? It, it helped, but then I went and solved it in real life. So, again, you needed step two, whereas Japan just did it in step one. I needed step two. Two because step one is not enough. Dupin didn't use enough. He could have been totally wrong. But he, he wasn't. Could gone, he could have gone. How do you even know he wasn't? Maybe he was wrong. No, I, did you remember what I said? I didn't tell you the details about us going and you know solving it. But he was right. Oh, so you're basically he claims. Oh yeah, then I checked. He didn't it. claim. I was there in the story. Why? Why did you? Cut out the more important, interesting part of the story. No, no, that was not the interesting part. The interesting part was point by point. Okay, well, that's subjective. All right. You can't argue with results. If the results are wrong, then you can. Uh, not if you can't argue. Yes, you can. No. Yes. What's this? Hey, what's the results? The results is Japan is stupid. No, wait, I was supposed to say the results. Too late. That's not fair! Damn it! When, when did anyone ever write a story about Sherlock Holmes, the world's fairest detective? I don't know. I didn't read your stories. I heard there was a dog in it! In one of the stories, there's a dog. I don't want to take that risk. Then don't read that one. I don't want to read any of them if there's a risk of a dog. There's only a risk of a dog in the one that has the dog in the title. The dog? It's called The Hound of the Baskervilles. <sighs> I thought you said it was called the dog. No, it's called a hound, which is a kind of dog. Ah! So there's two! No, there's just one fake dog. It's not even a real dog. It is a real dog. Yeah, but it's not really a mystical, horrible dog. All dogs are horrible. Got you. Got you! Can't argue with results! Okay! Now! I've won. Now, you've, you've distracted me. I can't even, I haven't even told you about the spooky moral of this story. What is the spooky moral of the story? Well, I think the moral is you should pay someone for doing real work, like listening to tedious stories. Oh, is that your like job? Just, is that your job? It is if you pay me for it, which that, you're supposed to do well, because I you didn't. hired me for it. No, you're a detective and you didn't. Remember, hey, do you remember the part of the story where they said uh, he hired us to, to to find the killer? And so if we don't, if we find she didn't get killed, then we're not going to get paid. Uh, it is part of my job where 
people come and I listen to their tedious stories and then they pay me to find the answer they want. You didn't find the answer I want. Uh, you still hired me. But you, you have to find the answer first. No, you still have to pay me for my time. I hired you to tell me that Dupin was the best detective in the world. I wouldn't have taken that assignment because that's a lie. Well, I finally am done telling you what I want you to do. <laughs> So now you have to do it. No, I've never... You'll never be... So you don't accept the job? No. Well, no, I gonna, don't accept the then job. Then I'm not going to pay you. Well, no, I already did the job. You didn't say it. Yeah, I, but the job was sitting here listening to this. No, that was the... That was the... Telling you about the job. Okay, look. The scary moral is... Pay attention to what job you're asked for. Yes, that's definitely a good moral. Yeah. I, you I, might get hired by a cat who never... Pays you. Uh, you didn't do the job? Yes, I did. I listened to the story. That's the job. No, the job. Okay, so you're saying what happens in your stories is someone comes in and says, Sure, I can't need your help. And you go, Okay, tell me all about it. And they go, Okay, blah, 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 blah. And you go, Cool, give me the money. And they go, Wait, you didn't solve it. And you go, No, I just listened to the stories. Give it over. Uh, whatever you do, if you hire me, if, you're, if I'm spending my time on it, you have to pay me for it. So I came in, I said, Sherlock Holmes, I need your help. And you go, what's the deal? And I said, okay, I'll tell you. And I told you the whole story and the conclusion of the story is, and so I need you to verify that he is the best detective in the world. And you go, no, I don't want to do that. So then you didn't get hired. <sighs> well, if that was the story, then fine. But in this case, the whole thing was listening to the story. That's what you had me there for. So that's what you should pay me and for. to confirm no, it, it's it can't be confirmed greatest detective not not this guy so you can't do the job i asked you to do that's fine that means i just won't pay you. no that's a job that is a false job you don't get your detective to confirm something you go to get okay. you can't then i guess i was talking to the wrong person i apologize i guess you can't help it. everybody don't let this cat hire you for anything because he doesn't pay you and I didn't hire you. you. I tried to hire you. Don't let him even try because he'll waste all your time and not pay you. Thank you for coming. Uh, well, thanks for nothing. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, come back next time, everybody. For... No, I won't come back. Not next you. Time. Come back next time, everybody, for one more Dupin story. Charles, I just yes. wanted to talk to you for a moment about how terrible 
the mystery of Marie Roget's. <laughs> it's so bad that when I was reading it to escape, I fell asleep multiple times. <laughs> well, I mean, I fall asleep sometimes during good things too, though. I mean, I yeah. fall asleep during movies or something if I'm tired. It was the middle of the day. It was, I, I mean, I don't want to say Sherlock Holmes was right, but it was just a dude reading the newspaper. Wait, so Sherlock Holmes was right. <laughs> I guess he was. Because it That's just what he was, was saying. Yeah, it really is. And the, the twisted part is, I, one of the things Scape didn't mention was that there, throughout the story, there are all these footnotes. Yeah. Um, just most of them just like a word or two in which the, it, at the beginning of the story, it says we added these footnotes later. Uh, it wasn't in the original printing, but we, we uh, they put them in later uh, when it got further away from the actual Marie Roger, Mary Rogers crime that Poe was writing about. Uh, right. Because that was real. And so all these footnotes were would be like when it says like Mr. Blah, 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 some French name. There would be a footnote that goes, Mr. Anderson. Like, okay. this is the real dude that... So this wasn't... Po- I don't think this is Poe writing a story at all. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what I'm saying, is that it, it really is like Poe just read a bunch of newspapers and went, these newspapers are bullshit. Here's why. I'm going to write about that. <laughs> and he wrote about why they were wrong. And then he goes, I bet you I know who did it. It was probably that guy. And they didn't ever solve it. <laughs> So they, they don't know if he was right, but in his so story, Paul he was, was like, just, yeah, I was right. He was just being Dupin, except without the prize money. <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, he got the money he, for writing it instead. No, he got, yeah, but then he could have <laughs> also got the money for writing a good story. He <laughs> probably got more money. <laughs> it was a very, this is the thing. It was a really famous murder, apparently, at the time. Uh, so... It was so. This was like not only was it the second detective story; it was the first like true crime detective story. I don't think this is even a detective story. <laughs> you, wait, you're siding with Sherlock Holmes on that too? He does detection. <laughs> okay, it's a detective story. It's a terrible one, though. It really. Yes. I mean, it's one of the first, so it's important. But we've come so much further. It's terrible. One of the things it says at the end, also, I think, is a hundred percent wrong. Hold on, let, me, let me grab the book. Hold on a sec. Okay, I'm back. No, one of the things in the last like paragraph, it says, um, oh, okay. Nothing, for example. He's talking about how coincidences, again, uh, um, Scape didn't really get too deep into that, but he talks more about coincidences at the end because he's like, oh, is it, it's just a coincidence that these are so similar. So, um, and he talks about the calculus of probabilities. Uh, and he goes, nothing, for example, is more difficult than to convince the merely general reader that the fact of sixes having been thrown twice in succession by a player at dice is sufficient cause for betting the largest odds that sixes will not be thrown in the third attempt. No, it's not. Yes, that's exactly wrong. He's 100% wrong. He is absolutely wrong. Wait, who's saying that? The narrator? The narrator of this, and therefore Poe. Because because Poe doesn't usually write narrators who are wrong about math. Like, he writes some unreliable (laughs) narrators. But they're not usually like, so clearly, obviously, three plus five is eight. Like no, like they, like they usually he, he uses them as a mouthpiece most he of the time. He uses as a character the way anybody writes an unreliable right. narrator is to reveal character. Right. So like yeah, they might go crazy at the end, but they're not yeah. just telling you wrong facts. So he's usually, like, no, he's not trying to reveal. Oh, in fact, <laughs> this narrator is bad at math. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he is. Yet he says this thing, which is one hundred percent wrong by probability. 
100% wrong. Now, if you were to say, if you were to start before the rolling happened and say, what are the, uh, would you bet a lot of money that the next <laughs> no, three times? Uh, yeah, that the next three, you're right. Of course. Yes, that is bad odds. But once the first two are rolled, they no longer affect time. anything. Yes, they are gone. But also, they knew that at this time. I know. And he's even writing that like, oh, and everybody knows this, but I think they're wrong. Yeah, he's going, nothing is harder than to convince someone that they should do this because it's wrong. That is why. But he's. He, but then he goes on to, uh, to be about, yeah, like, uh, oh, okay, uh, the next line after the one I just read is, a suggestion to this effect is usually rejected by the intellect at once. It does not appear that the two throws which have been completed and which lie now absolutely in the past can have influence upon the throw which exists only in the future. Yeah, because right. they can't. Because <laughs> they can't. Exactly. Only from a completely outside point of view where you go, what are the odds that three rolls in a row ever will come up all the same? Very low. And but so you then- you have to do that at the beginning, not after the two rolls have already happened. Right. Exactly. Exactly. He is no, just I think 100% wrong. Wow. Unless- See, Okay. No, no. Unless I'm- Unless I'm wrong- Wait. Hold on. Wait. Wait. There's one possibility. Okay. Okay, there's one possibility. Which is? Maybe he's saying this so wrong because he is saying the he's maybe he is being sarcastic. If, if, why would he be sarcastic to be like, well, most people are totally right. Uh, look how I can be wrong. All right, well, let me see what the next line after that is. The reason because the reason that he would be being sarcastic was because, again, remember the, the thing from the paragraph before was him going. But of course, I'm not saying that. Oh, he's saying like, oh, intuition. No, no, this is the part where he goes, I'm not saying that just because this, that even though the, there's a big coincidence between the Marie Roger and the Mary Rogers thing, I'm not saying it's the same. And I'm not saying you should like, you know, arrest the dude she ran away with a couple years ago. I'm not saying that that's the solution. I'm just saying, hey, what a weird coincidence. That's all. Uh, so maybe now he's going and saying the exact opposite of what's right probability so that. He, um. But I don't know. Well, let me see what he says next. Uh, it does not appear to in only the future. The chance for throwing sixes seems to be precisely as it was at any ordinary time that is to say subject only to the influence of the various other throws which may be made by the dice right yes and this is a reflection which appears so exceedingly obvious that attempts to controvert it are received more frequently with a derisive smile than with anything like respectful attention yes yes <laughs> correct because it is so patently false the error here involved a gross error redolent of mischief i cannot pretend to expose within the limits assigned me at present and with the philosophical, it needs no exposure. It may be sufficient here to say that it forms one of an infinite series of mistakes which arise in the path of reason through her propensity for seeking truth in detail. So he's basically like, everybody knows it's this way, but that's wrong, and I'm not telling you why. I can't explain why. So, okay, I can't, I can't tell. I can't tell if he's being sarcastic or not. No, I don't think he is. It doesn't, because in the end, you can tell he's being very obviously sarcastic. <sighs> okay. I, I just don't know. I just don't know. It's so stupid and wrong. But then, okay, so back to the rest of the story. Yes, Scape, Scape's version was very long, but not even close to how long the original was. The original because I don't think he was. I think he. I don't think he was even like setting out to write a good fiction story. <laughs> that's not a nice thing to say. What do you mean? No, I no. That's that's not not, not nice because I think that wasn't his goal. I'm, I. That's like saying uh, that baseball game was a terrible story. <laughs> No, but he was trying to write a story. He frames it, it, it as a story. It was, like, it was like framing it as a story, but his real goal was to like say, here's my theory about Mary Rogers. But yes. I wrote this story before with a character in it, and I'll like put the character on it. So yeah, you, Totally like, true. Oh, it's a story. Totally but, true. listen, this is really my theory. 
but I don't think I don't think that he he didn't write. I mean, I don't know. So much of the book, or story, I mean, so much of the story involves debunking newspaper articles. It really does. Uh, They're probably based on real newspaper. Oh, articles. they are. Yeah, absolutely, they are. Because when, when again, that's the, those footnotes when he says. Uh, they, they 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 say the name of fake French newspapers in here, like L'Etoile and stuff like that. And then at the bottom it goes, oh, uh, where, which one was it? L'Etoile. I don't know. It, it says at the bottom, like, oh, that's uh, the the Saturday Evening Post. Uh, oh, that's yeah. So uh, he just the wants to debunk these newspapers with the like fake veil of point by point by point, like line by line, yeah, as snarkily as possible. This is essentially. A a, a a a comments post underneath an article. Yeah, is what this yeah. story was. Most of it, like he just goes through under like, an article that I haven't read. <laughs> <laughs> it's so like the one. Okay, wait. Where's the one? Because the, 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 he goes. He is so again. He's so snarky and so you know trollish. Where is it? <laughs> so he he starts okay the one where he um talks about uh where where it talks about the body floating uh-huh. um he gets so in depth for all the reasons why that's not how it works but 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 before even that where is the where is the uh okay the the first line of that actual article is it is folly to suppose that the murder if murder was con- committed on her body could have been consummated soon enough to have enabled her murderers to throw the body into the river before midnight. And so then he goes on at length, well, this very lengthy paragraph, about how, why is that folly? Why is it folly to think that the murder was committed five seconds after she walked out the door? What, what, what's crazy about that? And so then he ends up going, he ends up going, okay, so, so in other words, if you follow all their logic, uh, this, that's paraphrasing, that, that it, the writer of the article really meant it to, meant by that, it is folly to suppose that the murder, if murder was committed on the body, could have been committed soon enough to have enabled the murderers to throw the body into the river before midnight. It is folly, we say, to suppose all this, and to suppose, at the same time, as we are resolved to suppose, that the body was not thrown in until after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, this is it's ridiculous. A repetitious way of saying that. Well, I, I mean, and, and he's, I mean he's, he's making fun of them. Because he's going, there, it's only folly to suppose that if you also are supposing that they did the opposite of that, which is what you are doing. Yeah. And uh, yes, of course, it is folly to suppose the opposite of the thing that you're <laughs> supposing. Um, and so then he goes on to, if it were my purpose merely to make a case against the passage of their argument, I might safely leave it where it is. It is not, however, with them that we... <laughs> so then he goes on uh, again. Uh, it, it's just... It's just... It's just terrible. So this is one of the first detective stories... And one of the worst detective stories. <laughs> I don't. Ca- I think it's a. I think it's a comments post. Dressed up. <laughs> You're right. It's like. But he published it. Like again, you. He didn't publish it as an editorial. He published he it as a fictionalized it in a magazine that would also have articles like my thoughts on the Mary Rogers case. Maybe he did, but reg- but he didn't write it that way. And he could have, is what I'm saying. He could have just written, "Here's a refutation of a bunch of bullshit that's been flying around regarding the Mary Rogers case." And my thoughts on what actually happened, uh, and that yeah, would have been fun. Could have no, <laughs> but instead he framed it as here's a fiction, and a fiction is a story. Yeah, maybe he just did that because he was afraid that it was gonna, it was gonna. I don't know what he would be afraid. Of. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment to mention that. So, 
Did, so did, you, had you read it before? You I had. read it when I was a kid. When you were a kid? How did and you I get through that as a kid? I don't remember. I can't even imagine a kid having the patience for all that newspaper dissection. Well, you know what? Maybe I didn't. What I remembered was, oh, as a kid, I read the Japan stories. Okay. But I didn't remember anything about this. But I mean, that's... So I had a memory that I had read these as a kid, but maybe I didn't read this one? But to be fair to Scapey, those that is his method. He did read a lot of newspapers for the first one, and he solved it mostly through those as well. Yeah. I mean, because I definitely remembered the ape in the second one, and it was like, oh, it was an ape, and they were all hearing different languages, right? The first one. Yeah. With this one, it's just like, I don't remember that at all. So either that, either I just thought I read them all because I read one or two of them, or it was so boring that I forgot it. Yeah, either of those is completely feasible. <laughs> and I mean, and a lot of his... Okay, like, I appreciate him taking 40 pages to spell out, like, every step of logic that he made, which, again, it does. Like, he escapes explanation of his ideas is very poor, and he does a better job. But by better job, I mean, still, sometimes I was going, what? Really? Because... Well, and it's still just him just explaining his yeah. thoughts on newspaper articles, right? Oh, yeah. It's still mainly just a voice for Edgar Allan Poe to, like, theorize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, like, the thing about, uh... <laughs> the, the thing about it wasn't... It couldn't have been thugs because there were other thugs, basically. Where he was like... Yeah, he, yeah, that's not true. He 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 does. He goes on about that though, like being like, yeah, there were. Isn't it way, like what are it's it's way less likely that there were two completely different groups of thugs doing very similar things? Like what oh, are the yeah, odds no, of that? No, it's not. Like, <laughs> oh god. All right. Well, let's hope the third one is better. I hope so, because maybe the third one he actually wants to write a mystery story. <laughs> you think the first one counts as a mystery story? It had a twist in Okay, everything. it did. Well, he was trying to write a story with the first one. The other thing, oh, one last thing about Marie Roger. One last thing. I'm sorry. Okay. I understand that we have an entire history of mystery stories since between then and now. Right. But like, it was her, it was the, like, it, it's so obvious. <laughs> like, if he just said at the beginning, did you check out the guy she ran away with the first time? You'd go. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, like, that idea. makes a lot of sense. Like, you didn't need all of that stuff. You didn't need it all. She Has clearly, hey, remember, out? she ran away before and she said she went to her relatives, but nobody believes it. Why don't you find out what really happened? That's probably it. <laughs> well, nobody thought of it, apparently. No. I'm looking on Goodreads and everybody has terrible reviews of it. <laughs> it's not a good read. It's no, a it's terrible not. read. Well, do you know that site? It's like I've a, heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Poe seems to have taken shown an interest in solving real life crimes in his personal time. <laughs> this story was his offer of a solution, which gives some very good arguments. Unfortunately, some of the arguments make little sense and mm-hmm. contradict themselves. And Dupin talks so much and so wordily throughout the whole story, I sometimes lost his train of thought and got frustrated. Yep. The combination of extremely long run-on sentences and this tenacious say in two pages, what could be said in a paragraph, try the reader's patience and make one wonder whether he was paid by the word. <laughs> he probably was. <sighs> oh, this person says, I did not understand why this story was never included in books comprising Poe's poems and stories until I read it. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. So, in, in, in short, don't read the story. Yeah, I don't think I will. Probably Maybe I didn't read it because it wasn't in the books of his stories. It might not have been. I mean, it, it's in the complete works, obviously. That's oh, yeah, I read it. They're complete. Um, but it wouldn't be in his best of, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you for listening to it. I mean, uh, thank you for just hanging around while Sherlock listened to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, wait, wait. Is this part going in the podcast? Also? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs>